Welcome to another conversation, people watching Discernible. It is a pleasure to have you here watching our fine show full of misinformation and disinformation. I, I don't plan my intros, so that I don't know why I just call us misinformation, but pretty much that's what people think of. Anything besides Channel 9 is false. Well, there might be an element of truth in that. You reckon? <laughs> well, but th th I bring this up because the party that you're standing for, Freedom Party, often gets that label. And so that's something I like to discuss with you. I should finish the intro. So Adam McClendon is here joining us, uh, standing for uh, the seat of Mulgrave, where Daniel Andrews is in Victoria in the lower house for Victoria's election in five weeks' time or so. He is part of uh, the deputy leader of the Freedom Party. So we have a whole bunch of new Freedom Parties that have popped up around the place. And it seems to me they're either crazy fringe extremist anti-vaxxers, so-called Ali Langdon told me, or they're the heroes of the world and you know we, they're going to save us all. So I'd love to have a more balanced discussion to find out exactly what do they stand for? What could they legitimately represent and achieve in parliament? And will, do they have any uh, hopes of getting there? But also what's behind their policies or lack thereof? Looking at the website, I'll probably take them to task and say a bit more detail, please. So let's have a good discussion, Aiden. All right, how do we start? I'm not a big fan of the freedom parties. Why are you part, are you, are you, why are you, have you joined up for Freedom Party? Because your background, uh, Liberal Party, National Party, Liberal Party, Cata Party, Family First, like you, you've been around some quite real and serious uh, political machines and you've been elected previously. So I'm not talking to a junior burger here. So, sure. so, but now you're joining a party which a lot of people say, oh, Freedom Parties are just kids having a yell. What do, you, what do you think? Look, I think what's happened is we've actually been able to capitalise on a huge movement here. Um, I do question when, the, when you have a plural. I, I don't think there are freedom parties as such. I think Freedom Party is representative of what's happened in the last two years in Victoria. Mm. Uh, so this is the sole party that's the, uh, the equal and opposite reaction of what's occurred in Victoria over the last two years. I've seen and I've always seen the need for a multi-party system in Australia. I think the Coles and Woolies system that we have is flawed. They're two heads of the same creature. Mm. Uh, most policy uh, is either agreed on behind the scenes or they have very shades of grey in, in terms of difference. Mm -hmm. So yes, I, whilst I joined the Liberal Party in 1996, uh, followed by the National Party, and of course uh, the reason for that was when I ran for local council, yes. I uh, actually won a seat at the age of 24, but yeah. that happened to be against the Vice President of the Liberal Party. So right they refused to renew my membership, hence the National Party. Right. Then I was instrumental in uh, bringing the Liberal National Party together, mm -hmm. uh, then got into the Parliament after five years of council, and uh, I realised very quickly that the, you know, the Libs thought I was a Nat, the Nat thought I was Lib, so I was in a very unique situation where I found it um, basically the need to create a new entity, which was the Queensland Party. So whilst I have um, a depth of experience in those other minor parties out there, the reality is I've never changed my principles, ever. My, um, my modus operandi has always been to provide a positive alternative in the parliament separate to you know, the Coke and Pepsi. Because people are after water, they're not getting it. They might get a little bit of different flavours here and there, but we need to create a significant movement that can work within the political parameters and then have outcome in terms of having influence in policy, whether you're in there internally or externally. I think you can, you can certainly um, be strategic in how you do that to influence policy outcomes. So, so the reason, so you, you said your values haven't changed over the years or your motivations for politics. The reason you created the Queensland Party, similar values and, and motivations for the Freedom Party down here? Very much so. What are they? Why did you create the Queensland Party? Yeah. So the Queensland Party, one of the, the, our key points of difference from any other political party was that we will never ever take the, those members or the candidates uh, right away from their conscience. 
So they can have a conscience vote ultimately on everything. We can have a set of values and a belief system, but ultimately they are accountable to their electorate, to the people yeah. that they represent. Isn't that the case with the Libs now? Not necessarily at all. I think what you'll see, uh, when, when I've done that previously, yeah. uh, of course you get chastised, um, you get segregated, uh, etc. So it, come, yeah. it comes down yeah. to that. Whereas we have in policy that yeah. you can have a conscience vote. Now, the Westminster system was originally a collective independence. Yes. Okay, so political parties have hijacked that process. Yeah. So really, we will be creating a political movement or political party yeah. uh, with the original intention of what democracy in Australia should have been. Now, for example, a senator that from Queensland or from New South Wales, they go to Canberra, they're supposed to, they're intended to represent their state. That's not the case now. They represent their party. Um, so that's weakened their, their representation in the states. Yes. And we've seen the, with the pandemic what's happened. We've, we're pretty much living in eight different countries. And you know, that's how the constitution was. And we didn't really understand that yeah. until such time as the borders started closing and premiers became prime ministers. And so really our whole, uh, our whole intent is to create a grassroots organic movement which could potentially be deemed as a collective independence with common objectives and belief systems uh, in the political paradigm but also uh, having an understanding or like-mindedness in terms of what those objectives are in the parliament and for us it's as simple as pr um, protecting victorian jobs homes and families we believe that they're the three critical pillars for a successful society uh, people leave a job for self-worth self-esteem not just a job but a meaningful job meaningful employment is critical uh, obviously people like to have a home it's a it's a simple you know natural progression you want a roof over your head and from that you know for those who are lucky enough to have a family so the, those three building blocks are fundamental to a successful society and in victoria particularly those three are under attack our jobs are under attack our homes are definitely under attack and our families have under unprecedented attack so for us to have that point of difference from anything else that's in the marketplace in politics, I think is absolutely critical in the election that faces us in the in the short uh, next few weeks. Okay. Well, I'll go more into those into those value, the three that you mentioned. But first of all, why why the Freedom Parties then? Because the association, especially with your state leader, is Morgan Jonas, mm. who has been at the front line of uh, the reaction against Daniel Andrews' totalitarianism or whatever. So, what you're telling me now seems more mainstream focused than a single issue of freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah, and I think um, the word freedom has been trashed, particularly by the left, as as the Australian flag. You hold an Australian flag up, you're deemed a racist. That's you right. say the word freedom, you're deemed an anti this, that and the yes, other. Yes. So the reality is we were bold enough to say, no, they're not going to take that word from us. Uh, I mean, if you look at the history of Australia, uh, you know, the Anzacs, etc. I mean, freedom, it doesn't just all of a sudden present itself and it's there, you know, indefinitely. Yes. To me, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be equally more important tomorrow and the next day than yeah. it is now. So freedom is the new F word. Yeah. I get that and it has been tainted, but we're going to reclaim that back. But how does that relate and to the values that you're talking about before? Because well, the, yeah, so the, the, well, the values, when you look at the freedom of employment, freedom, of, the, yeah. the three critical things about freedom is freedom of thought, speech and movement. Okay. All three have been heavily compromised in okay. Victoria and that, that's in legislation. Yes. You know, I mean, even if you pray for someone now, that's, you know, that's deemed illegal. Yeah, so only, you're freedom only of thought. Gay. Well, that's right. So, yeah. but, so that's deemed illegal. So your thought processes, or it's something that's in the confines of your belief system and structure, has now been compromised by legislation. And that's sort of that's George Orwell sort of stuff. Um, old Ox Huxley is his real name for those that don't know. But that's, I've studied a bit on him, and and everything he's saying is coming to light. But and then of course your speech, well, that's heavily compromised. It's hard. It's almost impossible for us to get into the mainstream media, despite the fact that we have over fifteen key policies that would outsmart the the, the Liberal National parties. And these are, these are alternative, cost-neutral, innovative policy that you know, we should have had 20, 30 years ago. So, How are you finding the other members of the Freedom Party and the Freedom Movement in general? They're not this eloquent, to be honest with you. 
You're very eloquent. Oh, look, yeah, but I've been in the game for long enough where I've had to present myself and, you know, been in tricky situations. I, you know, I've, I've had my uni degrees. I mean, I've probably had experience in the political arena much more, you know, than some of the, my counterparts as candidates. But I, I think that they've got a, got a greater strength than I in that they're coming from their communities as an organic community representative, yes. uh, rough diamonds, and that's what we need in the parliament. Well, right now, we've just got a bunch of glorified electorate officers who have been walking in the streets of, you know, the, the slippery suits of Spring Street. They get the game, you know, anyone can sort of play chess, but then, okay, what does that actually mean? What are the ramifications for that? Now, yes, we don't have people that aren't upskilled enough in the political arena itself. Uh, to me, I don't see that as a weakness. I think this is what sure. we need in the parliament. We need a circuit breaker of getting real people on the front line into the parliament. Uh, mistakes and all, no one's perfect. And the parliament largely needs a reset in terms of what its representation is, because it's clearly not there. There's a huge disconnect in terms of, you know, it's a quite, it's, it's quite an easy job. You, you collect money, you redistribute it. That's, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the key f you know, machinations of the political system. Yeah. Now, to divvy that up, and it, it's not that complicated. What we've complicated now is that we've, we're delving more and more into people's lives and intruding on their freedoms. And that's why I thought, well, you know, what we've seen in the last two years is that freedom has been massively compromised. So why wouldn't you be proud to use that word? And I think it's one of those words that, you know, deep down, I think people think, yeah, well, you know, a lot of the, especially a lot of our multicultural people have come here. They've come from countries of, you know, communism and, you know, freedom mm. to them is just a huge, it was, it was an unknown facet mm. for them from where they've come from. So do you think Australians value freedom though? Because I, I do, but yeah. I, I'm afraid that my fellow Australians don't. Look, I think so. I think there's a large element where we've, we've had it very good for a very long yeah. time. Um, we've taken it for granted because yeah. we've, you know, we've had a generation where it's sort of all been given to them. Yes. Uh, and therefore, you know, you are, it's only until you, have to, you lose something that you realised that you, you know, what a freedom is. And, and unless you're not acutely aware of what's happened in the last two years, then generally you might have a sense of, oh, yeah, we sort of, you know, lost a few things and whatever, but it's for the greater good. That's right. And there'll be people that fall into that category, yes. and that's fine. Uh, well, but the we, majority would, is what well, I'm saying. Well, potentially. I, I think there's, especially the, the reports coming out now in terms of the overreach that we saw, Yes. Um, particularly like schools being closed, yes. playgrounds being yes. closed. I mean, people are starting to join the dots, and I think the narrative is, is certainly collapsing uh, or but at they're least not asking changing. for more freedom Aidan they're asking for still look after me daddy government but do it better yeah but the problem is and this is what the the problem that the, the the lure of a nanny state and yes. the, the four days ago I think the the, the premiers talked about 25 percent home ownership now yeah. on the outset that looks great so yeah. oh wow there's you know that takes some of the stress off yeah. it doesn't do anything to alleviate home prices whatsoever mm. government now have another finger in the pie mm -hmm. in your livelihood mm. you know it's like this it's like the solar panels here's some solar panels and then all of a sudden you get hit with a sun tax mm. i mean at the end of the day we have to pay it back with interest it's our money to begin mm. with and the more that they intrude themselves and, and implement you know these little initiatives within our lives then the more heavily we're going to be compromised in terms of what we can do going forward so they're insidious policies because um, there's there's certainly undertones of communism, things like this. We've, we've seen the Premier also talk, talk about taking back energy. Mm. Uh, and, you know, from the outset, once again, oh, yeah, it should be owned by the people. Well, the reality is it will be drip-fed to us. The supply and demand will be compromised. Huge amounts WA of money. has this, though. Well, yeah, but depending on the model and who's at the, who's at the helm, yeah. this is the problem. So, yeah. And I've always been a big believer in you know, assets like, you know, because in, in war, yes. to take over a country, you take out their electricity, their yes. ports, their water, yes. you know, their main farming supplies, yes. like... But what they do, what the government's actually doing is centralising it to government yes. and foreign ownership. Yes. So you know, it's a financial war by no uncertain terms, and uh, and a clear example in Queensland when Joe Bucky Peterson built the tollway, 
that was a 20-year repayment plan with a toll on it. Yes. And uh, that was built in 1988. That was Expo 88, for yep. those that remember. That's when I moved to Queensland uh, from Victoria. Uh, that was meant to be paid off by 20 years. Now, the Bly government, okay, this is yeah, a Labor yeah, government, yeah sold that off to the Arabs for $7.2 billion right. 12 months before the people had paid it off. So 2007, yeah. So And then what happened? So then that, that, so well, so that was sold. So it. now they own it. Is so the, the toll Arab, still there? Cor correct. The toll is still there. It's huge. <laughs> and the money, it would be $4.80. It just keeps going up and so up because it's digital now. So that's just a profit uh, project for some big company somewhere. Huge. They come in and it's a license to print money. But, we've, but the people, us, the taxpayers, have already paid for it. So now we're, we're increasing the payments to foreign ownership. And then that should be illegal for any government to be able to do that once the people have paid for that and own it. Yeah. But we don't have any of these KPIs or parameters in place as we do in the small in, in, in the corporate sector. You know, and if you did that to, you know, in the business world, you'd end up in jail. Yeah. Yet, yeah these these yeah. politicians have unfettered access to any decisions they make when they make them. And mm -hmm. we've seen recently that the largely the legislation is not worth the paper it's written on. So we now have this ad hoc arrangement of of loose interpretation uh, by politicians uh, and largely Obviously, there's people and lobbyists, etc., you know, operating in the background. So, but politicians have become social glorified socialites. Mm. You know, they'll hug the babies, cut the ribbons, say what they need to say, mm -hmm. make it sound, package whatever the decisions that the bureaucrats made. So, so they're largely ineffective. And but because they don't want to bite the hand that feeds, they will keep doing what they have to do, which is pretty much selling out the people in the state. So, the more people can start realizing this. And that's what we've realised. Like, we, there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. I'm not a perfect candidate. No one is. Uh, so when people come forward, and we have quite a uh, you know, intrinsic candidate process before we put them out into the field because we know what it's like. Um, but people have um, people have come forward, and they, I mean, we have a high level of expertise. Um, we've got doctors, we've got a cardiologist, we've got teachers, we've got nurses. Well, I mean, we've got people who have, have demonstrated their expertise in their own right, in their own field. Uh, who never would have dreamed to enter the political spectrum, uh, but they are. And to me, that's infinitely exciting because all of a sudden we're engaging with a whole new demographic of people who are not electorate officers. And, and this is the circuit breaker that Victoria so desperately needs. Let's talk about your candidates. I'll just pull up your website. So you, I was looking through your list of candidates before you came in. I recognise half of them yep. because they're from the Victorians' party. Mm -hmm. I had a lot to do with them before they yeah. collapsed in a heap. Yep. Uh, and some, I'll give you some names. So, for example, why is Greg Cheeseman on this list? Greg Cheeseman was the LDP candidate for Holt. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Greg saw the light and he realised that the Lib Democrats were actually um, operating closely with Glenn Drury, which is the model. They where, are, yes. Yeah, which where they sort of cash for preferences is as simple as that. And if you look at the 2014, 2018 how to vote cars or the group voting tickets, the GVTs as they're referred to, uh, they've, they've absolutely put a majority of their voter base to the left and the socialist left. Now, when you look at how that works, a lot of people who thought, oh, Liberal Democrats, oh, that's right, they're for freedom. Well, where does that end? It's a very loose terminology of freedom. And, uh, you know, one person's freedom could be another's tyranny. So I think their, their interpretation of the word freedom is very loose. Uh, they're talking about free markets. And, I mean, this is, these are the problems with Australia that they're actually supporting. So I think Greg woke up to himself and said, hang on, this is not what it's cut out to be. And he looked at our policy, sat down with us, understood what we're on about, uh, and really, uh, I think we're in a very clear position uh, to be part of a Menzies 2.0, a Menzies Mark II model, because we're seeing a, a you know capitulation of some parties, um, sporadic parties popping up. We've seen Corey Bernardi try and start the Conservatives. We've seen, you know, they come and go. You've got your three colourful characters in, in Queensland. You've got Pauline and Clive and, 
and um, Pauline, Clive. Who's the third? <laughs> I think Bob, Bob Catter. Oh, Bob, Bob, I forgot <laughs> about Bob. Can't forget that. I spent a year and a half in the car with him. So you, you've, you've got that volatility mm. in Queensland. And mm. Joe Bjorki-Peterson said in, in one of the books that he wrote that the only problem with Queensland was Australia. <laughs> okay, it's sort of like the Texas of Australia. Mm. So mm. you've got this, um, there's this constant um, discontent among the centre-right and right, mm. where they want something, because the Liberal Party, when John Howard said, you know, it's the broad church, I mean, that's been interpreted like... Didn't work out, out so well. Yeah. It didn't work no. out so well. So, yeah. And they've lost now their reference point. And as the, as the Greens have dragged Labor to the left, so too have the Labor then dragged the Liberals. And as a result, they're becoming more and more irrelevant. And it's hard to have that common ground of, oh, that's what I'm getting when I vote for the Liberals. Yeah. But equally, I would say that Bob Hawke was the last, you know, Prime Minister that was actually Labor Party. Yeah. And, and John Howard was the last for Liberal Party. You didn't like I Paul Keating? I didn't mind Paul Keating. He was the first uh, Prime Minister I met, actually. I got a photo with him. I was, yeah. you know, 15, 16. I was just happy to meet the Prime Minister. But yeah. I think he had a great sense of humour. I think there was some probably policies that, you know, he probably opened up the free market, especially to age, which may have come back to bite us in different ways. I think that... Sure. It's impossible to know, though, back in the ni late 90s. Yeah. Like, you know, that's that right. Was, yeah. yeah it, 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 was, it was a little recession. There's so many things yeah. going on there yeah. that, you know, there was probably some sort of panic things to stay in the, in, into the, you know, the global market. Mm. But I think that's also compromises in the long run. Whereas, you know, really... The, the hawk here, we, we really had to capitalise on producing our own oil and our own gas, and we, we really were us as self-sustainable, and that's why we're the lucky country. But instead of us being self-sustainable and exporting, we're now importing and let others doing the rest of the work for us. So we're losing out big time in the short term. You, you know, the, the term the lucky country was originally an insult, right? No, I wasn't aware. Yeah, so it was, it was coined by, uh, I can't remember his name, but he, was, he said, the, the rest of the quote is, Australia's the lucky country and it's full of I can't remember the word he used, idiots or whatever, full of um, uns unskilled people who rely on nothing but luck. <laughs> Villains and convicts. <laughs> yeah, they were saying, you know, do something because all you're just relying on luck. Anyway, so back to your candidates. So there's others I recognise in here uh, that have come from other parties as well, like mm. there's this lady in here, Geraldine Hansen. She's a lovely lady, yeah. um, a farmer, but she, um, and, and David Wright, another one, they both yeah. were Victorian Party candidates. Geraldine, I think, was um, UAP. Oh, uh, UAP, yeah, sorry. She actually, yeah, But the, the point is, you know, you've just mentioned other parties that have come and gone. This party we're talking about now, the Freedom Party, has mm -hmm. only been registered a short time. Mm -hmm. So the fear is, is, is this party going to... You speak well now, but where will you be if you lose six months from now? It'll be gone too. Yeah. And all these people will be moved on to the LDP or some other... Yeah, I don't think in our position there is such thing as a loss. Uh, if, we, if we end up with 100 votes on the night, on the 26th, then it's 100 more than we've had. So this is certainly a long-term plan. And if you look at the likes of Geraldine Hanson, who polled the highest primary vote for the United Australia Party, for UAP. Yeah. Uh, if you look at David Wright, Victorian's party, yeah. um, you know, first class honours engineer. I mean, this is the depth of people. Yeah. Geraldine's a teacher. Yeah. Yeah, These are fantastic people. Yeah. What they've seen is that in the paradigm that they were in, it wasn't everything they were actually after. It's like, well, this is, there was constrictive, there was um, quite autonomous from the top. Ours is sort of built from the grassroots up because our, our, our biggest thing that we have in common is that everyone... Uh, understands it's, it's not a one-issue party and it's not a party named after a person. Now, when you do that, you actually, um, if you look at Clive, Clive, Bob and Pauline, okay, instantly you don't have longevity there and you cap your potential. So what do you mean they don't have longevity? They're old as. No, well, 25, yeah, but longevity in terms of Pauline's name, okay, yeah. and reaching potential. So it's a, bit, it's a mixture of both. Yeah. So, I mean, Clive used to be PUP, Palmer's yeah, United yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Catter was still Catter's Australian Party and... and 
you know, Pauline's taken her name off in New South Wales for, mm. to, to reduce to one nation. Mm. Uh, and that's fine, but I think, you, I mean, it wasn't the Menzies party. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to have longevity as in generationally. And I think you might have a morphing of parties with a name change. That's probably there's potential in the next three to five years for that to happen. But once you go down the, the road of naming it after someone, um, I mean, even Don Chip didn't do it with the Democrats. You look at it; it doesn't, it doesn't, it won't stand the test of time. And, and one, and one issue, you constrict yourself because you might have a great candidate. They may like the candidate, but they won't like Pauline or Clive or Bob. And then therein lies your problem because you're trying to sell them two drinks at once. Whereas the reality is, if you can create an organic base of a generic objective of jobs, homes, families, they know that ultimately everybody's that's their objective. It, there's no one person that's going to stand out, and that's when Morgan. You know, Jonas has created this huge social base. And of course, when I met him uh, in October last year, we thought, well, we've got some political expertise with, you know, and, and Morgan, mind you, was not just part of the protest. He, he was calling out the Andrews government well before COVID. He was. So yeah, I right. think we've yeah. seen a morphing now of, of expertise. And that's why we're actually seeing a, a credible vehicle emerging in a, in a fairly short space of time where people from these parties are saying, this is actually what we're after. We would need something here that's going to go well beyond the election and that's that's espousing the bread and butter of politics that hasn't been hasn't happened in our parliaments for a very long time. I, I do find it difficult to hear, though. You know, you, you accusing the other parties of being a single issue party. And your party's called the Freedom Party, mm. or that they Pauline Hanson and Popgatter don't have longevity, but you guys are two days old. And mm. I'm not. If I'm thinking, putting my mind in the sense of the everyday Victorian who mostly don't support the freedom movement, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, yeah. most there are just wanted to leave me alone, go to school, Dan's all right, or Lib's all right. That they would be similarly thinking like me, will you guys, I'm having trust issues here. Will sure, you, yeah. you haven't got the runs on the board yet. Yeah. I hope you do get them on the board, yeah. but they're yeah. not there yet. No, of course, but any political party that starts, it's, that's the nature of the beast. So, you know, from little things, big things grow. And if you look at... Um, the, the reality of the word freedom, I mean, that's not a, the one issue. I mean, the freedom of movement, speech, thought, and meaningful employment, you know, a, a, a minimum work wage. Um, tax, I mean, f the word freedom, actually, you can correlate to every piece of legislation in the parliament, you know, without fear or favour. So to me, it's a holistic word. Yes, it's been trashed, as I said earlier. Uh, it's been trashed or, you know, stereotyped. Uh, I, I could care less because the actual term freedom uh, will live on well beyond you know when we're when we've passed, what and that's why I believe we are going to have something that's of far greater significance going forward uh, than any of these other parties have in the past, and we may be instrumental in creating a round table of like-minded people in different vehicles, saying, well, there's actually huge potential here to create something different that the Liberals aren't offering. Okay, when you say the word freedom has been trashed, can we explore the links between the freedom uprising that was strong here? Mm and what your party is doing. What did you, were you satisfied with the way that all went? Because it appears very angry to me. So, so when I found yeah. out, for example, that I've met Morgan, I think he was a nice enough bloke, but when I found out that you were joining that party, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because yeah. the part of the movement he's part of and, and the other large movements around there can be quite angry and strident. And yeah. they have reason to, though. They're, they're fired from their jobs and I get yeah. it. But a lot of us in middle Australia going, I don't, they seem very fringe. Do you not have any concerns about the association between the that that side of things? And have they sullied the freedom name themselves? Not just the left wing saying you're all nutters, but they themselves getting up and screaming and Well, I think I think the greatest um, threat to the word freedom is the media itself, ironically. I think the media has done a lot to trash it. You might get I mean, you try and get three, four hundred thousand people on the street 
and then they zoom in on a SWAT sticker on someone's neck. Yes. And then uh, that's it. That's the narrative. Or someone yes. throws something at a journo. That's the narrative. Yes. Or someone swipes a horse in de- defense or otherwise. Yes. That's the narrative. Yes. So when, when you've got obscure details like that that are then highlighted in the headlines, that does more damage for the, the greater cause than anything. So uh, whilst it may be you know, propagated as a fringe party in the public arena, it's far from the truth. I know what the truth is, and I'm willing to, over a period of time, let that truth precipitate. Well, what's and, the truth of this? Well, the truth is that the freedoms of movement, speech, and thought were yeah. massively compromised. Yeah, but that, that's the core principles which I think we would most people would agree on, which is smart that you're running on that, and yep. you should. But in terms of the people that the, your party is now associating with, they've been associated with some pretty... They might be out there screaming about sovereign citizens and how the law doesn't apply to us because the government is a corporation. Well, a lot of those, And the rest of us are like, what the Yeah, F? but a lot of them don't associate with us. Like, they haven't joined the Freedom Party. So I think we've actually, we've had this filtration process where we've yeah. actually been able to sort the wheat from the chaff yeah. and we've actually got decent candidates. I mean, there's there's not a candidate that we've selected in the public arena that I wouldn't be proud to stand next to at a press conference okay. knowing who they are and what they've achieved. Okay. Yes, some of them have made mistakes in their past life. I don't care. That's what's called the past. Okay. And a lot of them are in fear of like, oh, what if this comes up or this comes up? I said, what is it that you believe? What is it that you want to change for 6.8 million people? I will stand by your side. Okay. Simple. So I really think that, yes, you're always going to get trimmings of rabble. Uh, but the fact that, you know, and those rabble aren't in this political party. When I mean, we're the fastest political movement in Victoria, literally, in terms of members joining and candidates joining. So clearly we're offering a point of difference. Otherwise, that wouldn't be able to happen in such a short period of time. Okay. So do you think you'll outstrip like PUP? They're not called that anymore. Uh, what are they usually called? UAP. You think yeah, you'll look, outdo them? I don't know. Look, to be honest, I actually don't. I don't like the comparison thing because I think, I mean, you could argue that, you know... Well, they're running on freedom tickets as well. Yeah, but in terms of definitive policy, we no, have... No, yeah. marketing. Well, that's right. And that's fine. Well, that, that marketing, thanks, Clive, for you know, spending $100 million on the word freedom. That, okay. I mean, I'm right. not going to complain about that. Right. <laughs> but but the, you must understand there's a lot of people have used the term loosely and capitalised on freedom. Even mm-hmm. Matthew Guy now mm-hmm. says, you know, mm-hmm. we want to get our freedoms back. And I'm thinking, well, hang on, you know, freedom was the new F word. You weren't saying it two months ago, but obviously your internal polling is realising that you've probably got a default of 5 10% of people going, you know what, mm. I don't care what they stand for, I just want freedom. So That's there right. will be that default vote as well. So I don't like to compare myself with other parties. I think all those parties definitely have something to offer mm. in their own different, unique ways. But I do believe that uh, if there wasn't a point of difference or we were just recreating the world, there is no way I'd be putting my time and energy behind it. Uh, but what people need to understand is there was a huge void here in particularly Victoria. You know, Queensland's quite volatile. They're politically active. They're engaged. Mm. You know, sometimes they, they're a bit hit and miss. But one thing that, that, that was a huge realisation for me in the last 12 to 18 months was how little Victoria knew and understood about politics, how, how little they're engaged. I mean, you've got some upper house members there who have no idea how they're elected. Uh, I mean, this is the reality of it. So, well, this, well, this is it. All they know is the invoice from jury came in and they paid it. That's, that's well, that's it. And, and, and you, you sit down and talk to some of these people. I'm thinking, you've been in this game for 10 years and you, you don't, actually don't understand the internal machinations. You go to the street, you door knock, they have no idea of the issues generally, what's going on, you know, and, and maybe mainstream TV and reality TV has numbed their brains in terms of the real <laughs> issues. I don't know what it is, but... I, uh, Victoria has largely been disengaged politically, and they probably have good reason for that. Yeah. But the reality is that that we have informed, and you know, you know we started at high noon. We have a high noon at outside Daniel Andrews' office for the last for forty days straight. We've done. This, this day, is where you go and do a, a live stream outside his office. Midday every day, for forty days. We're at day fifteen today. We have a new policy initiative. We have a new announcement. We're highlighting what needs to be done and what you know and what shouldn't be done. So okay. we, we've committed to doing forty days straight. 
Uh, that is as built. We've got four, five hundred thousand views, whatever it is. It's building yeah. quite quickly, but that's informing people. So okay. they didn't understand how group voting tickets worked. Yeah. They didn't understand, you know, the GS, the, the, our policies on GST and small business, and and we've got some really innovative stuff here that that is palatable, that's cost neutral, that the Labor, the Liberal Party should be running with, if they, if they had any well, will, will to to want to win. Let's go to policies, right? I go to your website to figure out what your policies are, and they're they're like. Th- very short statements. Yeah. Are these more aspirational statements? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have, obviously. I mean, we're, we're operating on you know a dozen volunteers basically. Yeah. So when when you when you don't we don't have and if you compare that to say you know Daniel Andrews, that's not fair. Nine, I won't do that. PRs. No, <laughs> so I wouldn't do that. You got ninety so, full time PRs. So what we have to do, you don't have we don't have the luxury of accessing resources to say these are the exact costings. Sure. This is what we're going to do, but you can certainly have. Um, innovative ideas, which we certainly do have. The exact costings, of course, is subsidiary. I understand because that. Because of that space, so yeah. So there has to be an element of aspiration. I understand that. But let's go through some of them because sure. you've got 10 on the website and I'll just quickly go through, well, if we can go through all of them. But I'm not having any go that you don't have costings and whatever. Yeah. Like I'm not being a, a tool about it. But some of them are, are so broad as I don't even know what it means. So yep. first of all, small business, number one, this is quite a good fleshed out. Reimburse 100% of the GST back to small businesses for 23 to 24 for a year. Yep. So why is that just to kickstart the economy? Yeah, well, hugely, massively crippled small business the last couple of years here. Why don't you refund yeah. the small GST from the pandemic period? That would make more sense. Uh, no, because what's happened is you, that's, you can't be retrospective. So then that, that revenue would then be insubordinate. So you would actually just create a, a huge debt on top of a huge debt. Okay. I think the more innovative way to the, the small businesses that have been able to survive and keep their head just above water, it's something for them to look forward to. But more importantly, those who went under or want to start and get back in again, this gives them a lifeline. Now that 10% GST, yeah. yes, it's a federal tax. The only way John Howard got it through was to be reimbursed by the states. Now yeah. the states have the discretion of where they distribute that. Yes. Now during the pandemic, we had two years where Australia produced 100 extra billionaires. So yeah. if you check this up on Forbes, we had 37 yeah. billionaires pre-pandemic. Post-pandemic, we had 137. Right. So 100 extra billionaires, unprecedented yes. historically in Australia, yeah. something seismically wrong. With, you know, this was this was part financial war or largely a financial war as well. Yeah. Meanwhile, the small businesses and you're only going to walk around your main streets in, in Melbourne to see every third or fourth either closed, yeah. shut down. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're saying is, if we really want to, you know, make Melbourne the livable city again and Victoria the place to come, then we're going to for 12 months have a, have, have an absolute full reimbursement on the GST, cost funded by anyone who made 100 million dollars or more profit will offset with a COVID tax relief package to small business. Okay, so you tax the giant Correct. places. And, and how do you even make this, you mentioned a bit at the beginning, because it's a federal issue. How would you, what's the machination for getting this? Yeah, through? so it's a federal tax, but the issue is state. So your small business, and, and this is what um, Joe Bielke-Peterson, once again, he, he got rid of, he abolished the death duties tax. And what happened is every other state followed suit. Why? Because everyone started moving to Queensland. Yeah. Because, like, yes, we don't want a death duty tax. So they started literally going yeah. up there in droves. So what would you do in Victoria? So, same here. So the, the, the revenue, they'll still fill out their BAS statements yes. every quarter. Yeah. They then go, I think, $75,000 is the threshold yeah. before you hit GST. Yeah. That, then get, that fully gets reimbursed back to the state. The state then divvies it straight back to those people. So that's currently what's happening. No, no. So now. what what happens now is the state keeps that revenue and decides where they want it. it oh, okay. So business. so we send it to the feds. The feds then distribute it to the states. Correct. And then Dan decides what to do Correct. with it. And you're saying just give it back to the businesses. Yeah, yeah. He, oh, might, okay, he okay. might want to build okay. another a road going to nowhere. Whatever it is. Well, I'm saying, well, let's redirect that to the small businesses cool. because they're the livelihood. And what they're going to do? They're going to put more people on. More people create more 
uh, tax. So, so that, that won't require any federal changes. That's just absolutely nothing. It's, it's a cost-neutral policy, which will give a lifeline to small business. And in fact, on top of that, we've actually said just as a subsidiary that in Vic Roads, you'd have a choice of a number plate, Victoria, open for business. Okay. Because we need to bring hope back to people. We need, otherwise, we're just going to keep leading people out of the state going yep. elsewhere. Yep. Families, number two, give parental control back to families so our children's health and well-being is not controlled by the government. So this is what I mean by a motherhood statement. What does that mean? Sure. So eight weeks ago, we've got a lot more detail, especially in leaflets that are going out on the ground oh, as okay. well. Just not on the yeah. site yet. Yeah, sure. No, there is, there's a bottleneck of a lot of sure. information coming. So in it'll come before the election? Absolutely. Right. And, um, and you'll see a lot of that being expanded upon this week. So let me just tell the people, yeah. freedomparty.net.au is what I'm reading from. And this will be updated with the policies as you release them before the election. Absolutely. So these are making sure that, you know, these are our aspects operational statements with um, obviously some greater detailed policy in that which is going to be in our leaflets as I said on the ground and updated on the website uh, you know we've got a we're all wearing about 20 hats at once so we're doing the best we can Understood. with the limited resources what's free to, uh, parental control back to families yeah so the parental um, so the parental autonomy at the moment has been compromised so right now if your son or daughter is in year seven in mm -hmm. high school then they have what's in schools they have what's called doctors in schools which sort of sounds okay from the mm -hmm. outset the reality is that child has a relationship with the doctor mm -hmm. behind the parents back so mm -hmm. that child could be on antidepressants contraceptives mm -hmm. i mean you name it mm -hmm. unbeknown to the parent now that that, that to me is, is clearly unacceptable and inappropriate uh, they can also go through potential transitions of age of a gender change without the parents' consent. So the parent, if they intervene and try to stop that, the parent could end up in court. Now this was brought only in the last twelve weeks through the um, education department. So my my role during COVID was the health and well-being of students. So I've dealt on the front line with students sure. with gender dysphoria, uh, and so all these issues, you know, that now I'm saying this is an insidious agenda. I mean, a twelve-year-old now uh, can literally enter an agreement with a doctor or a GP behind the parent's back. At 15, you can now apply for your own Medicare card. Yes, yes. I mean, this is insane. To call it for a minor, a mature minor, yeah. uh, it's very dangerous territory. And I've seen, we've seen in Michigan, the Republicans have proposed some legislation to say that if a minor is deemed a, a mature minor and goes through a uh, gender transition, that that should be deemed as first-degree child abuse out wow, of the five degrees. You, and we're, we're cutting pasting the same so, so you would want to have a law to outlaw it? You know, 100%, 100%, because the majority of these students, and I've dealt with them. Can you tell me year. about your experience with this? I mean, yeah. I had a bit of gender dysphoria as well when I was in high school, which turns out to be all generally other issues. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All sorts of things, bullying, self-esteem, identity, whatever. 100%. What is your experience? How much of it is real and genuine? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's the, the, the real genuine ones gets down to the scientific uh, chromosomal differences. So you could be very, very close to a gender specific. Now these, these cases are so isolated, it would never make media. The reality is now, when you look at the fashion, when you look at TikTok, when you look at all this stuff that's yeah. put into kids' heads, where yeah. boys are looking like girls, mm. girls are looking like boys, no one knows what they're, you know, Victoria now has 33 registered genders. I mean, this is insane. So when, when, you've, and when you've got people running departments with that sort of mindset, then it's an anything goes. And now we've got the New South Wales Department saying, well, it's not parent, it's, you know, it's this, it's, there's not even mother or father now. It's parent one, parent yeah. two, him, her, all these pronouns are coming in. I mean, what they're doing is actually, and the, the, the children that I've dealt with, yes. they actually don't want the spotlight on them in these issues. Right, because you know, they're, they're struggling with They're something. struggling yeah. with it. And all of a sudden they put a spotlight on them and say, oh, guess what? You know, you're David today and you're Dixie tomorrow. Yeah. And we get everyone's going to, you know, all of a sudden just keep going back and forth, back and forth. And then they feel 
you know, they, they actually feel demoralised through this process. So my, you know, and here's an example of it. They went to a school where they had someone, uh, one of the students were going through this gender dysphoria and they wanted a, you know, a separate toilet just for them and all yeah. the rest of them. I said, well, hang on, in grade five, how about for, there was a disabled toilet there, but there was no disabled children. So I said, how come, it's a single toilet. Yeah, yeah. So that's the grade fives and six toilet because okay. of course that's when they start the periods and yeah. the bodies are changing, yeah. puberty. Yeah. So why don't you just make it generic? Yeah. That's the grade fives and six toilets, done. Right. Okay. And the principal's like, oh, that's fantastic. But, but previous to that, the principal's like, oh, we have to do X, Y, and Z because the department and this and that and the other. Mm. No, you don't. There's actually a much more pragmatic way to protect the identity of that child and what they're going through um, and the care and compassion and the wellbeing plans that we have. And there's, there's you know, you've got psychiatrists, there's such a huge amount of expertise that's needed for a child in this uh, circumstance rather than saying, oh, yeah, no worries, we'll just send you off to the slaughter and change your gender. That doesn't make sense. It's wrong, and it, to me, it constitutes child abuse. Okay, so just in your experience um, looking up the wellbeing of children in schools in Victoria, have you found that those who express some kind of gender dysphoria, uh, was how often was it um, explained and work through as another issue? And how often was it legitimately they needed to go down gender transition? Yeah, so you usually, uh, after about the third or fourth meeting, once you build a rapport, because a lot of it's relational in this yeah, space, yeah. Uh, you, you then discover a lot more very quickly, uh, rather than just on the outside, it's, oh yeah, you know, bullied at home or whatever. But yeah. then you actually start saying you're seeing sexual abuse, yeah. uh, you're seeing uh, not wanted at the home, um, between halfway homes. Yeah. Um, uh, bullied, seeing, um, been exposed to material, uh, pornography, yeah. uh, content that it, it, their minds at that part, when they're still being formed, uh, haven't been compromised. But obviously, when they get this oversaturation of information, uh, they get confused. There's obviously drug abuse. I mean, you know, alcohol starting as young as ten and eleven. Yes. Uh, access to it, you know, mum and dad's fridge, um, uh, you know, um, behaviour in front of them. They're not getting to bed at two or three in the morning, waking up scared and timid, being introverted. So. I mean, the insomnia, you just look at the, the amount of problems associated to it, which are never talked about in the media, uh, are huge, absolutely huge. And then, but what the media will pick out is, oh, the one, the flavour of the day is, oh, their boy trapped in a girl's body or vice versa. And you're not finding that's the problem? It, not, it, the problem is absolutely growing because of uh, the agenda that's been pushed into teachers and they've only talked about now in kindergartens talking about... Yeah. Um, you know, gender-neutral terminology yeah, yeah. for zero to five years old. Yeah. Now, these kids, when they haven't formed critical thinking, when their minds are so early in their developmental stages, yes. they'll actually they're being rewired. But they, they won't know yeah. otherwise. So are you saying, though, that in your opinion, it's more often explained by other issues that you've described? Absolutely. The other issues right. that are not talked about are, are foundationally instrumental in terms of what precipitates at the top end for that. What the government has done is as, you know, it's just like we can change agenda, you just fill out a form bill mm. for a hospital within 24 hours, I could be a female. Like, uh, this is stupid. It's, it's, it's actually ludicrous. This, I'm, this I'm, yeah, I'm glad I'm not a kid now when I was struggling when I was in school. Uh, yeah. So accountability, politicians' actions and spending to be made public and reviewed. Don't we have all this, with the, what do they call it? The um, Privileges Committee or whatever? No, the Privileges Committee, yeah, but that's Caesar judging Caesar. So what you do, you, you've got- you Who's know, going to be on this then? So those one, they would be, they would be set in stone regardless of which government was in. So it would almost be like a state-based constitution where you would only have a certain amount of money within CPI. So if you're, if the budget's bringing in $10 billion and all of a sudden you're spending 15, then obviously they would go through the departments and say, okay, you know what, you're, you didn't reach your KPI, you didn't reach your KPI and you didn't. So there are, those elements of accountability in terms of their expenditure are simply not there. All they do is go through these so-called independent committees yeah. or neutral committees, yeah. but all they're doing is justify 
justifying why, why they spent it, uh, not how they spent it. So they will. Um, so you're talking about tightening the rules. Hundred percent. Like, okay. And they, and you know, you could almost cut and paste corporate sector law and impose it on the politicians because then they. But the problem is the reason why we keep privatising things is because more often than not, it, it's the private sector that can actually run it better. If now, you, why can't government? I'd vote. I'm keen. I'm tempted to vote for you just for that statement. Cut and paste the same standards we apply to corporates on. Well, I mean, we do a lot of dodgy stuff at the top end of the corporate town. But anyway. Yeah, but nothing piles in significance. Oh, our government <laughs> is, is a free-for-all. I mean, honestly, I mean, we're, we're dealing with a legal gang now. That's all we're doing. It's, that's, that's pretty much where we're at in Victorian politics. Yeah, it's a legal gang. We're being bashed. Hey, so uh, rental affordability, this is huge for people like us who rent two mm-hmm. houses, in fact, this workhouse mm-hmm. and another house to live in. Tax cuts to investors reduce their weekly rent to tenants to assist rental affordability. You're playing around in the market now. This will be interesting. Yeah, so I mean, we keep, we keep looking at like, oh, let's throw another ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars at you know homeowners. I'll, I'll answer yeah. this twofold: one, in the actual home prices, and a lot of that is because we've been landlocked our state up. Okay, now the reason we landlock is because uh, it, it prevents. Well, it actually provides to government. Um, the need to just use existing infrastructure. So what you'll do is when they have transport nodes, they'll go, oh, now let's landlock and just go high density. It's way easier for councils oh, no and developers. Yeah. That's it. So once they've got the railway line, they're going, well, do we... Th- do we have a you know? Do we think like the Chinese and have a fifty hundred year vision, or do we just oh no we've got an election in two years oh yeah no you know what we'll do let's just go high density right. we'll get more rates more so what we're doing is we're creating a problem of clutter and we and we're compacting that because we're not thinking at the side of the square of fifty year vision we think in electrical cycles in Australia okay. and there's a lot from other countries that we can learn from in terms of how they operate and China's one of them yeah. I mean they they look at theirs well beyond their existing generation. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, they'll probably in the long run be the lucky country, okay. uh, not just from their labour force, but because they actually, they're selfless in terms of their approach beyond their existence. Uh, Australia, however, the politicians wine and dine with the top end of town with a two-year cycle in mind because they're going to go back to the polls. So if yeah, we John, actually... John Lenders is not landlocked, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he right. can build whatever he well, wants. Well, yeah, but then you've got a monopoly on the land that has been released. That's, that's mm-hmm. different again. But if you have... Uh, you know, satellite cities and bit by bit strategically done where you can actually take that pressure off, housing affordability becomes more affordable. Now, we've also fallen into the trap where the generation want everything at once. They either want everything at once or they want nothing. Because they're going, ah, forget it. I'm never going to, you know what, I'm going to drive a fancy car. I'm going to blow $300 at the bar. You know, cheery do with my mates and have a hair of the dog in the morning. There's that element. What the and then, what's cheery do? What's hair in the dog? Just all explain. these things. Oh, well, you these are sayings I'm not familiar with. Well, that's all right. You just got to hang around somebody that your, your students give you the terminology and tell them. <laughs> Hairy so, dog? Yeah, I think you're feeling hungover the, in the next morning. If you just oh. whack another beer down, you oh. feel all right. You get oh, back okay. on the saddle. All right, sorry, go on. So, so, so these things. So, um, so you've got that, you know, they don't care. They're going to live yep. in the moment because yep. they've given up. Yep. And then you've got the, um, you know, the other section, they're either going to get hand-me-downs from their, their yes. parents yes. Uh, or they're, you know, they're, they're switched on and for five or six years they're methodically, you know, yep. but as they're saving, they've got to keep saving higher and yes. higher. Yes. So, uh, and, and that's where we, we've got this real uh, gap between the haves and have-nots in Australia now. Yes. But if you re- a land release, yes. okay, they don't need everything all at once, but the, you know, our parents, my parents, I guess, be a similar age. I'm not sure. I um, they, they bought a twelve thousand dollar home in Hackett, yeah, in Canberra, and yeah. that was their first home. Yeah. And you know, mum had to boil the jug and then you know wash the yeah. my oldest brother and the. I mean, they had to start out and work their way up, but now they just want the McMansion straight. It doesn't work like that. So you're talking about creating rem- more remote, cheap housing. Well, yeah, not even necessarily even cheap. I think some of these um, some of the incentives to 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 especially to builders and to construction companies, especially when they're, they're regionalised, there needs to be. Incentives 
incentive to, to decentralize the state. You don't need to have everything all at once crowded on top of each other. It seems impossible because of infrastructure spending. We can barely afford what we're doing now, even. Yeah, no, that's because it's not being done properly in the budget blowouts are because you've got to follow the money, who's getting what and why, why are we constantly having these contracts blow out? And more often than not, the governments have those contracts stitched up with people they know. Oh, that's every time. So, Labor and Liberal, damn now, it. And if it went out to tender, to your mum and dad shops, they would be able to build it cheaper. The same thing happened with the Revolution building with the million dollar halls. The now, flagpole and sitting on the bridge. It was really, correct. <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, if someone told you $5 million, you'd be surprised. Yeah, but 25, I mean, does that come with the helicopter dropping it in? I don't know. But the problem is this. When it happened in Queensland, you know, I knew there was a problem when someone came to me. I was not allowed to change the fluoro bulb, okay, because of OHS. Yeah, okay. So I ordered in Q-Build. Q-Build came in. They got the ladder. They got the check. Oh, Two guys. They had the, the tape out. They left an invoice that was paid on the desk that was paid for by them, $330. To change a fluoro light bulb. This was in 2010. It's probably pretty high up. They got a ladder and stuff, right? How many Q-Build workers does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> so you talk, so $330 yeah, for a $6 tube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was 10 years ago. So can you imagine what's happening oh, on the large yeah. scale? And to get back to the answer on the investors. Yes. So the investors, and what I've noticed door knocking around the Mulgrave district, yes. is that eighth or, every eighth or ninth home, and this is no exaggeration, is empty. I'm thinking, how can this be? Something's what do you mean empty? Right. Empty. No one there. So no there's one no there. furniture inside? No furniture inside. Oh, no. There's nothing. There's empty. There's rentals there's, that people can't afford to get into. And then the absolute empty ones, I'm thinking... So then I started talking to um, uh, Property Consultants Australia, a few people saying, what is this? Yeah. The reality is for some investors, if they've got four or five homes on their portfolio, yes. some of them are drawing income from that. Now, it's actually cheaper for them to have no one in there than to get stung at tax on their returns. What do you mean by that? So let's just say you, you, you rent a house out for $500 yes, a week, okay? Yes. That's declared income. Yes. Now, if you're getting that 26000 a year, you declare that, and yes. then you get taxed on that. Yes. So you may lose another seven, eight, or 9000 Yes. So it's actually easier for them not to have someone in there. No, but then you lose, you don't get that twenty-six. No, but you have to declare it. So you, from the 18 that you get, okay, you may be heavily compromised in terms of, so they're saying, you know what, it's actually better for us not to just to sit on it as an asset, and then, then we can actually uh, run it as a, as a negative. Yeah, it's a minus 26. Correct. It's a, yeah. So rather than, so yeah, you, you, you're renting out for 26000 and then you get compromised down the line. But if 18, you've got, yeah. yeah, so if you say, well, I've got five houses, but I'm going to leave two empty, I'm going to draw a wage here, run them at a loss, that's actually better for me than managing five tenants. Oh, I see. So the reality is, what we're saying is, well, guess what? You know, of those five homes, they may have one or two. You have to look at where the money would go. But they, uh, so say a seven hundred dollar home. Okay, it's unaffordable for a family with two or three kids, yeah. but they can afford five hundred. Yes. Well, if they go through a process, well, I said the the landlord says, okay, I'll make it five hundred. The tax, the, the government can say, well, guess what? Because you've actually made it affordable, we will not tax you as income. Therefore, the seven hundred they'd lose probably three hundred in tax. Yep. If they make it five hundred, they're actually either cost neutral or they make a little bit of money. Okay. Now this. This is threefold. The government doesn't have to buy, um, create affordable housing. Yes. The government wins. The tenant gets cheaper rent yes. for a roof above their head for yes. their family. They win. The landlord gets the tax deduction in order to have a family in there. So all three win, and it's a cost-neutral policy. Oh, well, yeah. You may okay. lose some revenue. Government on one loses side. some revenue. Yeah, yeah but guess that's... what? That's the they would they save that by not having to build affordable housing. So, so it offsets it. So why? Okay, with just the numbers. So how can it be that if you have ten properties? earning 18 on a gross of 26, yep. it's better off to leave some empty. I don't understand that. It's yeah, always yeah. better to earn an extra dollar. No, not necessarily because you can run at a loss. And that's why some people do, some people have their tenancy agreements by cash. 
off the books and so you know just just put 500 in the account okay so right. i'll defer to you on that yep. because i'm not smart enough on numbers i studied law not maths <laughs> lawyers can't do maths hey so um i get it so you're in, you're giving you moving the incentives so that they're not incentivized to leave them empty yeah right? and you've got to create policy within, within existing policy not new policy because new policy always has unintended consequences here's yep. 20 grand homeowners grant well guess what oh, factor that in everything is 20 grand more expensive or something yeah all right so let's just skip through some of the more obvious ones like health uh create innovative policy which is on environment does not increase oh that's boring all right food strengthen our farming and agriculture sector to improve the quality and accessibility of healthy affordable local food again a motherhood statement what are you doing anything on food 100 so what we're doing is eldie's actually done it for us coles and woolies squeezed out our local market because right. i mean and look at the milk uh the dairy industry got deregulated in 2001 absolutely smashed it yeah. i mean it was a dollar a liter there was a race to the bottom yeah but they had to they had to sell it at a loss to stay in the market yes our dairy farmers yes. i mean 10,000 farmers yeah. and farms have been uh, have been decimated yes. in the last 10 years that's huge that's that's amazing like yeah. it's been centralized woolies and coles are being bring the imports in we get oranges from california yeah. but it took a german company in eldy to come out here and i met with them back in 2009-10 where they actually got someone in a penthouse for 12 months to say you know what all those industries the tomato industry all these industries that have been squeezed out by coles and woolies i want you to go in there and make sure that they've got a little bit a tiny bit more than what coles and woolies are given to a keep them in the market but then b create a market for eldy so eldy was willing to have a smaller profit margin and keep our australian industries uh, in the business now it took a german company to see that from the outside yeah. and although they've got i think they've got about nine ten percent of the market share Coles and Woolies have 82%, yes. uh, which is huge. Now, in America, you're only allowed to have 22.5%, which is when you go to America, if anyone's been there. Even for supermarkets? Supermarkets, correct. So your Walmart's... What about Costco and Walmart? No, absolutely. 22.5, that's it. Oh, and really? that's why you've got so many. You've got such more Tesco's, selection. Yeah, correct. random stuff. Yeah, yeah oh, exactly. Wow. So you've, you've, you've actually got... You, this is an antitrust you've issue. You've got multi-corporates there. And... Correct. And otherwise, you get the monopoly of what's happening in Australia. So to, to, in order to smash that, you need to change state and federal legislation to say, well, we need yeah. to empower our farmers. Like, where's their tax cuts? Where's their, you know, they need to have um, taxation zonal regions, for example. So, you know, these people who, uh, you know, because for the community, you know, it's either the pub or the school or the farmer that is the heart of that community. Yes, That's it. And yes, yes. when they, when policy, adverse policy comes and you can wipe out whole communities because of that. Yeah. And then what do they do? They centralize to the middle. House prices go up. Infrastructure doesn't go out. So, you know, you've, you've got this whole shifting paradigm constantly and they're just throwing more and more money at these band-aid solutions of trying to fix the problem rather than saying, you know what, let's decentralize and breathe. I mean, 70% of Australia is desert. So we're not 30% for a start, but we're not using that 30% effectively. If we did that, what you would do is have affordable housing, you have decentralization, you probably wouldn't get the half the crap of the agendas that you've got now because you're having fresh air and picking up you know, eggs from chickens and actually living real life rather than sitting in front of the idiot box. So mm. all these things that we grew up with have been taken out are symptomatic of, of, of a, uh, a culture of sickness that we have now mm. because we don't know what's natural and what's real. And, you know, it's hard to, to critically think now because there's so much white noise out there. Mm. But our farmers need to be empowered. Our, our, our milk industry, uh, look, any food producing industry, you know, obviously um, fracking and coal seam gas, I was instrumental in that in Queensland, they were targeting the Golden Triangle, which is in Queensland, which is 70 foot of, of golden soil. I mean, and the, the best greenies in Australia are farmers because they need to reproduce from that yeah. soil. Yeah. And why they're costing so much, we should have a rite of passage locally. So our fruits and vegetables should be organic, clean, fresh, cheap, and then we can start exporting. But all it comes down to is innovative government legislation to make that happen. And you're suggesting more more of a protectionist approach where we we put incentives to prefer our citizens before export. Well, I, I think it only makes sense because, um, and I think I've said this in my maiden speech in 2009, uh, that I think globalisation will run its course 
and then we're going to get back to localization. It's the only thing that's okay. ever worked because something happens to a country, the ripple effect is huge. So the domino right. effect is always going to be there globally, and we've seen that with COVID. So, right. but if we uh, become self-sustainable. Uh, we can produce and feed, and then we look at exporting. If we can get that model right, we will be one of the strongest nations in the world, and we would be a blueprint model for people to look up to. And we've got such opportunity here. So much damage has been done, but we live in hope. And that's why I think we can still undo a lot of that damage, but we're going to take a lot of different parties sitting at the table to say, okay, this is our 1,500-year vision. 1500 year vision. Uh, no, so, 50 and 100. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> oh, you're going to 1500 if you want. It's too long. So, <laughs> education, uh, restructure the curriculum to focus on reading, writing, and arithmetic. So, I mean, you work in education. Abolish exposure to adult content in schools. Introduce self defense classes to empower students to be confident and active. That's, I mean, it's quite self explanatory. Yeah, um, I just I just think, and teachers will resonate when I say this. I mean, we've got I think we've got six or seven teachers are candidates, so that says a lot. You know, mm. um, for the Freedom Party Victoria, we've got six or seven teachers, and and when I mean, we've had our little round tables, like it, it, we're all speaking from the same hymn sheet. It's like yeah, it's ridiculous, the amount of uh, modules that come in for compliance. Mm. Bureaucracy is changing the goalposts constantly. I mean, parents are basically. Uh, sorry, teachers are co-parenting. Mm. Uh, it's a huge job. I mean, teaching is actually becoming subsidiary to the you know, the list of 10 things you've got to tick off in that day. Mm. Now, no, I, I could publicly say that I'd be very, very lucky um, uh, if a student was uh, actually expanding the knowledge base by 60 minutes a day, uh, that would be optimal in terms of our education system. Well, well explain what you're saying yeah. there. This is so, huge. Okay, so in a six-hour day, you've got, you know, by the time you, you, know, you do the role, you're... You high five your students you know the yeah. bell goes there you walk over there joining comes yeah. in late you know yeah. machination open up homework that they probably either haven't done or just yeah. regurgitate from somewhere else yeah i mean look there's some don't get me wrong some awesome teachers there who don't operate sure, like that sure, but the paradigm sure. gets so burnt out that you end up becoming reactive not proactive as a teacher and then you get that and it's like okay now pull out this now before we start the lesson we've got a child safety module of you know 50 yes. questions of this and what yes. does that mean to you and what is that and don't say that and you know and then you've got this just PC brigade yes. suffocating teachers from their core role, which yes. needs to be relational. Because if yeah. you have a, if you can be relational to a student, then they're going to be. I always have fun. I love performing arts was one of my methods, so yeah. I know that I can actually tap into uh, students' engagement much. better. it's an easier, right? Let's say maths mm. or science, but mm. depending on who the teacher is behind it. Mm. Um, but when you engage them and they're fun, their minds open up and they're ready to learn. But when you've got the mundane in out in out and COVID impacted on that, and we've seen this in the papers today, you know the oh you know shock horror they're they're behind in their schooling. Well, that was always going to happen. But the well, sixty they, minutes, they say Victoria's are the worst in the nation for reading writing. Reading and writing, yeah. yeah, and it comes as no surprise. I mean, longest lockdown in the world. I mean, yeah. you're going to get that, and you know most so, parents. But so you're up. estimating, I mean, roughly, but you could take hour do you call it the expanding yep. of the mind hour of the, hour. The expanding of the knowledge base would be one hour, and that's why I think you'll see a huge Whoa. uptake in homeschooling because people, even if they're not doing the exact modules of the curriculum, stick and outdoor hour hour and a half in the morning. Hundred percent. I mean, even if you even if you told your children to to go to the shops to make a meal and be innovative, and here's your money and here's your budgeting, go forth and multiply. They will infinitely learn more in that day than going to a day at school in terms of street savviness, budgeting, what they're going to make, how much is two hundred grams of butter, whatever it is. Yeah. Life skills are not enough in our curriculum. Um, you know, something that's relevant, and if kids don't see it relevant, they see it a mile away. 
and they're going to end up with an earpiece in their hand watching TikTok under the table if they can sneak a second phone in. <laughs> I can't believe it because when I um, went through school, we didn't have Bluetooth earpieces, but you could totally do that during class. I'm you could have a wireless Bluetooth, little tiny little Mate, thing. these students would intercept my overhead projector and tell <laughs> what they're doing. Put they, stuff they've on. got these little apps that they can hijack me overhead projector screen with. And I'm thinking, okay, that's innovative and I shouldn't be yeah. laughing, but that's actually really cool. But I, and, and I was in a position where I was actually learning more from the children in terms of probably what I was parting with in knowledge. I mean, mm. everything is so compliant, driven and bureaucratic now. Teachers are actually scared to just be themselves and naturally teach as they naturally would, mm. which would then, uh, you know, it, it's like osmosis. Students would sponge that in. But mm. because they've got to walk in like robots and tick, 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 and then you've got a staff meeting and then you're burnt out, then you've got to correct work and then you get to, you know, by the time you get to bed at midnight, people think t- teaching is an easy gig. It's not. But unfortunately, the main focus isn't actually proactive teaching. Mm. It's reactive bureaucracy. It's terrible. So the, when parents need to keep in mind, when they think of school, it's not what you're thinking of. Today, your kids are going through something completely different to what yeah. you're remembering yeah. from 1991. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, you know, in, in some respects, it's glorified childcare. And the d- poor teachers, they've got this, such a huge differentiation because you know, mental health and well-being is massively compromised in the last two years, but also you know, kids with ADHD, special needs. You've got, all, you've got such an array of students. You're thinking, okay, do I focus on the middle or do I wait for mum and dad to complain on this end of the spectrum or that end of the spectrum? Do I give extra work to that person? Like, it's an absolute head mess walking to 25 students and trying to make sure that you're scaffolding their knowledge base. It's near impossible. Like, you know, to me, I, I think it would be, you know, we need to halve the size of our classrooms. Good. To Come make on, sure. how do you do that? Well, you can't, but I'm just saying that's yeah, what we need to I do. Mean, that ideally, so, yeah. I mean, otherwise... What are they I mean, now, 30? Yeah, I've, they range, well, depending on school, they range between 25, uh, sorry, 21 and 30, 31, yeah, max, yeah. But and, and it. it's it's... I mean, to me, it's one of the most important professions and one of the things that the teachers' unions should have been on to. I mean, I'm a former politician, so from my wage, I then had to go and do my dip head. Okay, so then you've got to go on off study or try and have a job, which I think I had a job to try and get through that. Mm. And then you start on the lower of the rung, so you start at your $63,500. Now, mm. if you would have thought that if someone's had a wealth of expertise in another area mm. and there's 10 rungs on the teaching pay scale, then you would think that you would automatically go to a fifth or sixth mm, rung mm. given prior recognition mm. that doesn't happen so we're not attracting quality teachers what we're doing is we're doing a sausage machine from year 12 students straight to the teaching push them through very little life experience and now you've got a 22 23 year old sitting in the front has no real depth of what yes. it means to them etc so no, but they're good at rolling out the Correct. Correct. And if you if you've got if you've got a cohort of students that can be comply to the government, then that's an easy fix. What we need now is learned, thinking, intelligent adults who have had a previous experience in previous areas with incentives to say, no, you know what, you're actually worth ninety grand a year, and even then we're getting you cheaply. And you know what, people will start coming across, and the caliber of teaching will increase. And, uh, and I think what you'll see then is, is, is a much more, that's where we need to put money, not into million dollar buildings. You know, it, it needs to be on frontline services where there's a transfer of knowledge that's actually happening with relevant life skills. Look, if, if anyone was serious about doing education well, I mean, we've, we spend more and more on it in the Western world and we keep getting worse results. They would do a voucher system. Instead of spending money on halls, they'd give parents the ability, here's the apportionment of education. Where do you want to put that 10 grand a year per child? And you go and you choose, let the market sort it out. Well, I like it to a degree, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a big believer in classes either. Like year 7, 8, 9, 10 is very regimental. It should be spheres. It should be colour-coded. So if you're, if you're advancing in something, then if, if you're in year 8 and you need to be doing year 10 maths, then you should be doing year 10 maths. You know, if you think, Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I think we've capped these people's potential, which puts enormous pressure on the teacher. 
uh, you know, when when the the, the the differentiation between someone who's at a year five level, someone yeah. who's at a year ten level, and they're trying to teach year eights. Well, it will be on fair. different topics too. Like my six mm-hmm. six year old, six year old is bad at some things, but loves orbital mechanics. Like hello, space flight, and she and loves it, look doing orbits around. Like it's perfect. Nuts. So and she should be in a year four or five class learning about for that. Correct. And then for something else, she's in a lower whatever. Yeah. All right. So free, last one is freedom. Reinstate the freedom of thought, speech, and movement to ensure individual rights are restored. This includes freedom of religion and belief. So the the, the main cry here from the mainstream Australia is, what are you complaining about? Yeah. It's over. We've moved on. What's yeah. the problem? No, I think, and I think especially with people with a higher belief system, they're a threat to the government. So anyone who has a faith base, regardless of what that is, and I could care less if people are agnostic, atheists, it's not my business, but the reality is they should have the freedom to espouse that. We don't in this, whether we like it or not. Um, people with a belief system that challenge government uh, don't have a voice. And government policy is largely written that undermines people with a belief system. So their biggest threat is people who you know, have a high belief system or go to church on a, on a Saturday or Sunday or whatever their faith base is. Uh, and we saw that during COVID. I mean, you know, we saw the, the Jewish synagogues getting raided. I mean, we saw, you know, people's belief systems were so much more stronger than these unreasonable overreach. Now, that hugely threatens the government because they're saying, well, if they don't listen and comply, they're a threat. I don't care who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw this with the um, Essendon CEO, incoming Essendon CEO. Oh, he yeah. lasted for, what, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even the Premier came out and swabbed him. I'm thinking, hang on, the Premier's calling him a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Now, the Catholic, all he did was pretty much espouse what, you know, Catholic's do- doctrine is, mm-hmm. um, yet that wasn't good enough. And, and, and Daniel quite comfortably has 50 cents each way when it suits him but anyone of a high faith or belief system gets chopped out of the Margaret Court all these people who cares what they believe in he actually only goes after one side because when the Muslim AFL player girl said Mm. I can't play in the pride round he he was nowhere to be seen seen. no no they'll do it it's convenient Christianity they'll do it when it suits them and they'll do it when they can I call them political iguanas um, you know, yeah, and they just come, yeah, chameleons. They just come in, chameleons. They come in, they come in, say what they need to say. But what are you uh, suggesting here, though, as a policy? You're saying that the state needs to what back off on these laws against? No, there should be people should be protected to be allowed to. And for, well, we have that. We have the Charter of Human Rights and responsibilities. No, yeah, but once again, it's open to interpretation by the weakness of the judiciary at the time. Yeah, the so problem. what would you do though? So you, I agree, but yeah, what yeah. Do? So you instill it like I think even Matthew Guy said it recently. Like you know, if you've got a faith-based school, say you're an Islam school, yeah, okay, yeah. Islamic school, yeah. and you one of your things is if a teacher wants to teach, they have to be of that belief system. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a Christian and I'm trying to teach theirs, oh, what are you, Christian? Oh, that's all. I don't Maybe it's not for me. Yeah. And? Yeah, but okay. now that's deemed discrimination. Okay. So get rid of that stuff. I just think it's ridiculous. I think we need to reinstill people, employers should have the right to say, well, this is my modus operandi. This is our belief system. In order for it to function successfully, we need people who are conducive to that cause. Now, if that precludes you from applying for the job, I don't see a problem with that. And it's mm. like you can't just say, you, you know, you can't. I just, it just makes it's nonsensical to walk into a Toyota shop and demand a Holden. It's mm. stupid. So why are we doing it in policy? Because it's, it's, it's inevitably going to collapse. Because at some point along the way, and it's divisive, and we've seen this in the federal parliament. I mean, the art of division is what keeps government keeps people busy and government in power. And we've got to get rid of this division. It's just stupidity. It's like you know, at the end of the day. Oh, you know, are we racist? No, we've all, I mean, it's such a multicultural country. We all have friends from all walks of life. If the Australian humour has a bit of a dig here and there, including us, that's life. Like, I, I don't see a problem. Like, the whole, the larrikinism of Australia's gone. The, you know, it's, it's been wiped out by these extreme, and then meanwhile, you've got, you know, drag queens gyrating in kids' faces. I mean, what the hell? I mean, on one, on one end, you know, we've gone so PC, and then on the other end, it's like anything goes. 
So the happy medium you is actually can't not do there. drag. Uh, you actually can't do like the strippers in in story time for the kids if it's heterosexual. You can only do it if it's, yeah, uh, it's drag. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Thoughts on energy? Yeah, so because that's a big problem. Yeah, it's a big one, and I think and I was the, actually the chair of Environment Sustainability in Logan, which is the third largest council in the world. Uh, Brisbane's the first one in the world because um, usually there's smaller counties yeah. everywhere else. Yeah. Um, I, I actually put the, poured the a proposal to it was a three hundred thousand dollar machine from China actually, and and what it do, uh, what it did is is to put tires and wood melted into one to have balustrades. Now the balustrades for your decks and your roofing yeah. and the rest of it. Um, are much much stronger than just standard treated timber okay that's one example of waste okay turning into something now waste the byproduct of waste is in fact energy yes. so when you actually break it down there's huge amounts of revenue in waste so i would be proposing that our, our all our tips and our waste yes. disposal tips we should not be paying at all it should be free to dump why because we're dumping revenue Get rid of all the admin costs of weighing cars and ticketing and vouchers on your rates notice. That's a waste of time. State needs to come in, overtake all the tips across Victoria. The trucks still pick them up as part of your rates. They then need to have a absolute systemized plan of what glass turns into, where, where the hydrogen is, where the chemical. You can actually break it down and create a huge form of energy through. I mean, it is the byproduct of waste. It's not We're going not, to be enough to do baseload energy. No, of course not. But there's other ways. I mean, what I'm saying is our whole mindset is like, oh, climate change, climate change, renewable energy, just pour billions over here, yeah. have a smaller, you know, and more expensive and a smaller drip feed to you. That's not the answer. The answer is innovative policy. Waste goes to energy. You have ethanol to offset ten yeah. percent of our fuel. We could, you know, all the cane fields up in Queensland. Ethanol should be absolutely part of our, you know, refinery system in the oils. Um, when when you look at what we're doing, we are very, I mean, we're very wasteful as well. Just now, day to day stuff. I mean, look at any kitchen bin; it gets filled pretty quickly. So, what about our coal generators, which are shutting down in Victoria, and yep. also uh, the other thing we just banned fracking. We put it into our constitution. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a big I'm not a big believer of fracking because I mean when you when you extract coal seam gas, I mean you're talking about destroying soil and lands for up to five, six, seven hundred years. So that that that's really counterproductive in terms of being able to reproduce again. I do think we need to have front and centre uh, a debate on nuclear, uh, on fission and fusion. Of course, it's a cleaner, greener energy. What about uh, coal right now? Coal. Look, uh, next it, five, ten years. That's all we got. But, but that's fine because the reality is, I think coal. Okay, people might look at it as evil. Well, it's necessary. Okay, if you look at Australia's emissions, it's 1.4% of the world's emissions. Okay, now when you have 50,000 people in food bank in the Dandenongs lining up for food daily, that's mm -hmm. daily, there's one in Epping, one in Dandenong. I can tell you now that the issue of 1.4% of carbon emissions, which is naturally going to happen in any civilized society, mm -hmm. is not the priority issue on their agenda. Um, innovative, being good stewards of the environment, being innovative, having the debate about nuclear. No, it doesn't mean bombs are blowing up. What does it actually mean? You know, when we're taking the disposable waste from other countries, yet we're jumping up and down, we've got the are biggest Are we storing nuclear waste? Um, we're storing nuclear waste, absolutely we are. And we're also storing their bloody fluoride. <laughs> so, I mean, what the hell aren't we using it for? I mean, we've, we're worried about nuclear waste. We've got it, so mm -hmm. let's burn some. But it, it's an educational process. It's like, you know, freedom is anti that. The flag, you're racist. Yeah. Oh, in the nuclear, it's dangerous. Like, yeah. what, we've got an ignoramus going on. And that, that, that goes back to the education system. It's been under attack for 20, 30 years. I mean, if we don't properly teach people right from the outset, then we're going to have protests of stupidity on the outset because they actually don't even know what they're protesting against okay. or for. And there's nothing worse than seeing, you know, the analogy I like to use is that you've got a granny living in a concrete, you know, unit in the middle of Melbourne, mm. sitting on a wooden chair, mm. on a wooden table, with a wooden pencil, on a wooden sheet, writing a letter to the editor of a, of a wooden newspaper, mm. complaining about, you know, 
it's, there's, there's got to be perspective on mm-hmm. it, and and I don't think the um, I, I don't think the Greens have got that. I think I think they're um, they're going to peak. I think they, they were a slow brisket. They started out very very small. I think they've reached their peak. People understand that they're probably a bit more extreme in some areas. They need to have reasonable debates and say, okay, what are the pros and cons of nuclear? I mean, if the green if the Greens were to lead that charge, you know, and, and actually propagate a, an informed you know, educational awareness, they'd probably get some credibility. And if they were smart, they could do that and reinvent themselves. They could do it well. Shut yeah. down coal, bring on nuclear. Yeah, they could do that. Uh, hey, uh, so now we've just talked for policy for 40 minutes. What's the point of that discussion? Because you, you're not going to be Premier next mm-hmm. month. Why do minor parties have policy? Why do media outlets? Tell me your policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? What's the yeah. point of all this? So I think you have never underestimate the influence that you can have externally and internally. I think you don't can you don't necessarily have to have bums on seats in parliament to have in, in, input into policy. And we've seen the Greens successfully do that, especially when they started out. Okay. I mean, the Greens were nothing for many many years. Yeah. You know, they were a 05 percent party, then a one, then a two, then a three. It was a slow cooking brisket. Okay. Uh, anything needs to be done. It needs it needs to be done surely and steadily. But we'll look at it now. It's actually actually got its tether, a very short tether, huge, on yeah. the government of the day. Massive. And you don't underestimate, you know, even the fact that Matthew Guy, for example, is using the word freedom much more lucidly. He wouldn't do that had we not existed. So, Or he's using LDP colours. And Well, these things, because they're, reasonably, they're looking at the focus groups and they're thinking, hang on, yeah, there's 10 or 15%, because we're talking roughly 30, 35% people who aren't going to vote major. And there may well be in the next three weeks another vacuum. So I mean, we could, if this nudges 40% of people who aren't quite sure who to vote for, I mean, this is seismic. I mean, we've got a prime minister of 32% primary, 68% didn't vote for him. So as minor parties or micro or nano, it doesn't matter what size, they all have impact somewhere along the line. Uh, the, the extent of that impact is how you can be strategic working with them internally. You can put amendments forward, you can negotiate with the people outside of parliament. But I mean, we're the only party that are going to be running heavily in the lower house in terms of a new option. None of the other parties, their other parties' battle is in the upper house. Ours is obviously there, but also the grassroots in the lower house and that's where you can have huge influence i mean we've got 18 seats with a margin of under five percent you know so why wouldn't if you had a vehicle that we've got why wouldn't you run strong in as many upper lower house seats as you can um which and that therein lies and that's why we have dialogue with sitting mps left right and center because all of a sudden we've created another entity and we're an unknown entity at this stage we could be a two percent ten percent who knows we'll find out what, what happens on the day what do you think we're realistically i mean you need to say we're going to do really well but if you look at the federal election mm. uap and friends and the australians didn't want it they wanted mainly the teals and some other few independents like Dai Le and so yeah on. I, I'd argue they didn't want necessarily the teals because they didn't understand what the teal terminology meant i think that's saw some strong independents that were heavily backed by you know simon holmes etc but okay. i think what they wanted was something different Yes. I don't think they got what they wanted, yes. but they didn't want the majors. And often, but they didn't want the Freedom Parties either. Yeah, Even your running mate, but they, Morgan, what, what, didn't... But the Freedom Parties that I saw that were there, no, we didn't have time to register a new party that was working in the background. No, but Morgan... Okay, Morgan, mm. hang on. Morgan's got yeah. more followers on Facebook yeah. than voted for him in the upper house in all of Victoria. And all, most of his followers are in Victoria. He's a Victorian personality. Mm. And anyone in Victoria could have voted for him because it was an upper house ticket uh, where he was. Like mm-hmm. A lot of Victoria could have voted What's the deal with that? I, I would say Morgan Morgan should have got somewhere closer to eighty to hundred thousand votes if he was above the line. He wasn't. So because he wasn't a registered party, all that people say was the registered party's above the line. His name was under the That's line. That's right. Now there's the first problem. Second problem is the VEC, in no uncertain terms, sorry, the AEC, Australian Electrical Commission, in no uncertain terms was misguiding people left, right, and centre. Saw saying, the phone calls. You need yeah. To, yeah. So what I'm saying is, so you know, you'll be above the line. The yeah, correct. Party. Now, so the, 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 we're comparing apples and oranges here because what happened in the federal election in such a short space of time is, I would argue that there were no freedom parties. 
Okay, Clive Palmer was not a freedom party. Clive Palmer was always United Australia Party. Right. He's capitalised on the word freedom. Yes. But guess what? How many people don't want to vote Clive? 97%. Okay. So it doesn't matter what he calls it. He could call it Free Childcare Party. It doesn't mean he'll... He doesn't matter what his issue is at the time. Yeah. This is the problem with a, a party named after yourself. So to me, they had huge limitations. So people say, oh, these freedom parties. What freedom parties? Pauline Hanson been around for 25 years. She wasn't deemed a freedom party. She's not relevant in Victoria as much as Queensland. Clive wasn't a freedom party. The Liberal Democrats, they've been around 21 years. You could say that they've got, you know, they're, they're more libertarian. I mean, there, there, there were no freedom parties in Victoria. This is what people, they keep loosely saying, all oh, these freedom parties, no one wanted them. There wasn't any. LDP didn't do well. And I know you've just said no. they're not really about freedom, but that's all they've talked about for 21 years. Yeah, all libertarianism. Yeah, it's different again because I think the, um, you know, their definition of freedom is probably you know, somewhat different than, than what a lot of people would expect it to be. But mm. I think if you look at the LDP, I mean, they got 89,000 roughly, I think, primary votes in 2018 and you know, three or 4,000 extra this time. So largely, to me, it didn't change pre and post-COVID. Mm. So mm. to me, they, they've, or, they've already got their niche market. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were relevant and had you know, commonplace policies and actually were the Freedom Party in terms of what was looking for, then then really they should have gone from 89,000 votes to 189,000 votes minimum. So are you so saying that, because I started the interview by saying maybe Australians don't want freedom, but you're kind of making an argument, no, they do, they but do. they haven't had the choice. They, absolutely, they haven't had the choice. I mean, they're going into the store, they've got Coke, they've got Pepsi, they've got you know, Clive's Fanta over here, or Solo, he's yellow, isn't he? Solo, yeah, you've got Fanta, yeah. you've, got you've got all this stuff that's already been on the shelf for ages, yeah. okay, but they're like, oh, I'm thirsty, but... I need water. It's not in the fridge. Okay. You know what I mean? Because I drink that soft drink and then I'm thirsty again. It doesn't do it for me. Like, and the labels are already there. Yeah. People just want to get in there and have a fresh cup of water, which is not rel- It's not in the parliament now. And as I said, you know, Labor aren't for the worker anymore. Uh, liberals certainly aren't for small business anymore. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, the, the whole core base of why they existed is, is no longer present. Uh, you know, Palmer, well, you know, people can jump to their own conclusions why he exists, and he, he may well be the tail wagging the dog in, in you know, things that go on behind the scenes unbeknown to us. But the reality is, where is, and this is why we call our convention the rational majority, where what, is a party okay. for the rational, oh, we had a convention that everyone was invited to, in fact, the Herald, the Age, the Sky News, they all said they'd be there, no one turned up. Okay. The mainstream don't want to know us, because I actually believe we are, we are representative of what we refer to as the rational majority. Look, that would be nice, but I, I, even I doubt it. And I'm of the similar mm. ideology, like let's be that rational majority and freedom of what you said, job, house, life. But I, I don't know, man. Oh, look, it's if, a, this, if this election turns out that you fail, mm. relatively speaking, then don't, don't we, we have to call it? No, I don't think so. The, the thing is, if you, looked at what's, if you look at the odds stacked against us now, it's infinite. I mean, our Facebook feeds get cut out outside of Dan's office. You know, our, our donations are 1,080 and then you have to declare. Who wants to declare under the current bullying government they've got now? No one. Yeah. So you can almost get no funds. You know, they put you through the hurdles left, right and send in through the VEC, through no fault of the VEC, mind you, the legislation that they succumb to. You know, they have basically designed it so they cannot get any dissent into the parliament. Now, the fact that we've got to duck and weave and mobilise an army across the state in such a short amount of time with limited resources, to me... What are you measuring? ...speaks volumes, in measuring as in candidates... You say or we've been able to get an army across the state. Well, How do you measure that? Okay, so, I mean, we've, we've reached half the seats, 88 seats. We've got half the seats have actually had a proper pre-selection process of candidates. Now, okay. that's massive okay, yeah. because each of those represent, you know, 55,000, 60,000 people in their communities, 45,000-odd voters. Okay. Now, when you've got these people, these aren't just anyone's, oh, I want a job. It doesn't work like that. These yeah. are people who can see there's a problem, don't want to be in politics, but know that it's a duty. Now, when you start seeing these critical things coming across, it's like there's a huge sentiment there. 
And if the Liberal Party, if we had, put it this way, if we had the same amount of funding as the Liberal Party, now, of course, they don't have as much as Labor. Mm. If we had the same amount of people resources as the Liberal Party, uh, there would be no Liberal Party left. We would, I can guarantee you, we would, we would win more seats in the Liberal Party and potentially win government yeah. in a coalition of a, whatever Liberal Party was. Who's turning to you? So you mentioned a little bit about this off-air that surprised me about Labor, disaffected Labor voters. But yeah. when you say the Liberal Party wouldn't exist because you'd take over, yeah. it's a high statement to make, right? Well, no, no, but if we had the same amount of resources. Yeah, the same amount of resources. Absolutely. Right. But when I talk to the Liberal Party, Matthew yeah. Guy and friends off, off camera, they describe their donor base, rusted, old, scared of COVID, uh, supportive of lockdowns, which is why they didn't come out because yeah. the, the donating base. Yeah, but that's old school liberal, yeah. Yeah, but that's that, a yeah. lot of their base. Yeah but, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That's not, so they're not going to go to you. But it's not transferring. No, no, they're basically, Labor's, Labor, we are Labor's biggest threat. I mean, when you've got the word jobs in there as your first pillar, okay, it's got Labor written all over it. Homes, well, that's a bit of both, I guess, maybe, neither actually. And then families, pretty much neither actually. So you've got jobs front and centre, that's Labor. And homes and families are not being espoused by major parties. So we are a threat in our own right. And if you look at what we did in, when I started the Queensland Party in, uh, well, in Queensland, um, Labor, the Bly government, went from 51 seats to seven. So they lost 44 seats, okay, unprecedented. Yeah. Now, Campbell Newman wasn't even in the parliament. Talking about a Westminster system that's been trashed. And what do you mean he wasn't in the parliament? Oh, he was the we, mayor of Brisbane. That's so he, right. he ran outside of the parliament. Okay, and he now, became prime, prime minister without. He being became a premier without. He was he was the Lord Mayor of Brisbane, then premier, and then premier. So I, he I stood down during oh. election time. So he ran from outside the parliament, and that's wow. Now this happened, and that's therefore I said, okay, well, you know, and I'll get along with Campbell. So don't yeah. get me wrong; yeah, we'll yeah. disagree on policy or whatever. But you know, this is the Liberal Party that you know you you have to abide by the Westminster system. And yeah. rah, rah. next thing they've got a candidate from the outside running yeah. doesn't even have a seat yeah. in parliament. Yeah. So what did I do? I just announced we we went through a selection process and had a shadow ministry in Queensland. Okay. So which is exactly what we've done here in Victoria because anyone, any party can have a shadow ministry. You don't. Okay. Have to be in the parliament you to shadow the minister. It. Correct. It, yeah. So we've got we've got you know we have thirty two shadow ministers now who are shadowing the minister, the incumbent, as are the Liberal Party. Now, if the Liberal Party were doing that effectively, we wouldn't have to do this. Now, Campbell Newman should have won somewhere between twenty five and thirty seats max. But uh, sorry, the, twenty sorry the Liber, the Labor Party should have won twenty five to thirty seats max. Yeah, but they didn't. Won they won seven. seven. And the, the going joke and you're was, taking the credit for that. 100% we did, because the vacuum in the middle in the, in the seat that I ran in Bo Desert, the media having a go at me saying you'd be lucky to get double digits. I got 26% oh, of wow, the vote. Okay. Now, What's the joke? Sorry, you, oh, you. the joke was that, you know, how do you tell that the Labor Party are in town? It's because when the Tarago um, rocks up under, underneath the car parking, oh, okay. when the Tarago's there, the Labor Party's there, a seven-seater yeah, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. But yeah, you see the Tarago's, oh, the Labor Party's in town. Yeah. So, um, But that's never, ever happened before. Now... You know, now the fact that Kat is Australian party, I was the state leader and Bob was the federal leader, mm. we created a vacuum there of what's Labor light. Now, Labor light, I would refer to, so we, for every three votes we took from the Labor Party, we took one from conservative side of politics. That mm. was the general breakdown. Now, what's three happening? Three Labor, one conservative. Yeah, yeah, it was 75 to 25. And the reason being, and you look at the outer suburbs in Melbourne, you know, they, they are conservative, class, hard they are. Class, working class. They are. They're not liberal yeah. and they're not Labor. Yeah. So you've got this huge belt. Well, some of them are Labor. Some, yeah, but they're not rusted on labour. Like you look at some of Point these sole traders. No, 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 no. There's only had they have never had another option, and that's why you've got st seats in play now. Like you look at Melton and Berwick, and mm. you look at these seats in play. And I would even say Mulgrave. Mm. Now these people are working class with a high belief system, 
and they are the rational majority, which is not being represented by Liberal Labor. Labor are not for the workers as we know it. Yes, they'll throw billions at construction and deal with the yes. sectors, et cetera, at the top end. But yeah, I'm talking about your sole traders, your, your plumbers, your, you know, your, your sparkies, your people. No Who's way. representing them? The Liberal Party aren't, and the Labor Party sure as hell aren't. So there is a huge opportunity for a political vehicle, and this is just the, the start of, a, I think, a much, much bigger creation than people can see at the moment. There is huge, particularly Victoria, they haven't had another option that's neither Labor or Liberal. And that's where I think, and we'll pose, and I think the Labor Party knows this, we pose a much, much bigger threat uh, because the higher the Labor uh, vote in, so let's say Mulgrave, you know, Daniel's uh, vote is 54%. Uh, well, okay, a third of that's up for grabs. You know, let's call it 60%, 20, 25%. That's up for grabs because they don't want to go to Liberal. So they're Labor light. Labor light are looking for something. And, you know, the, the Liberals that have been forgotten, that, that number's growing as well. So I think we're either heading towards a multi-party system in Australia or we're seeing a, Men uh, a Menzies 2.0 where you're going to have the Knights of the Round Table, you're going to have the likes of John Anderson, your Clives, your One Nations, your people say, you know what, put your swords down, we need to go back to the drawing board because clearly we forgot what collectively we stand for. John Anderson? Yeah, John Anderson in the background, former... Deputy, Deputy Prime Minister, yeah, he's still doing the show. What has he got to do with you guys? No, he hasn't. I'm saying these people, these people have got the capacity to come together with all their previous expertise, whether it's John Anderson, Alex Antic, Corey oh, Bernardi. Okay. What I'm saying, there needs to be a, mo a meeting Good luck like getting him. people. He was very disappointing in the sense that when I pushed him on, I shouldn't say this publicly, but yeah. when, I, when I pushed him on some of the freedom issues, he's like, well, you make decisions, there are consequences. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, gee. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you're going to get those differences between them. But collectively, if, the, if they, and this is what the Labor Party's good at, yeah. you know, they, they have a huge debate behind the doors, then they come out unified. Now, what does Liberal Party do? They all sit there, knifing each other internally, and then come out and it's a disaster. So, you know, you've got these, you've got the tale of two parties here, and, and neither of them are functioning. You know, I think the Labor Party stifles its, its um, democracy internally, which can't be a good thing in the long term because it becomes a bit like a cult, um, you know, a bit like a gang, really, like you can't step out of line, which is stupid because it compromises representative democracy. And then you've got the Liberal Party who don't actually really know what they stand for until they get in the Parliament and say what Labor's saying and then try and have a point of difference. So... <laughs> You know, I just think there's a huge opportunity, and the and the rational majority it, it, that that middle it's growing and growing and growing. The more the parties get disconnected, and, and I think the Freedom Party will be instrumental in leading. You know, well beyond this election, this election is nothing but a battle. I, I'm talking about going forward. I think there is no such thing as a loss at this election. We're going to impact it somewhere along the line. We're okay. we're a big unknown. But, but what's coming on the 27th of November and beyond is much more exciting than what we've already uh, uh, initiated. Well, well, if what you're describing is true, that mood for the third party, or it's more than just a party, that mood for representation, uh, forgotten, Menzies forgotten people or whatever, then it's, it actually doesn't matter whether you guys exist in two years or not. There's, there's something there Absolutely. Some, for someone to come along and serve. Absolutely. And I think, um, and that'll depend, you know, there may be a, a seismic shift. The Liberal Party may split in two. Uh, which may do itself a service. Um, the National Party are becoming irrelevant. I mean, you're looking at what's happening now, yeah. and, and there's so many people operating in isolation ineffectively. Yeah. And you know, if, you, if you can get an egg into those ingredients and bring it together, it could be a very, very powerful unit. And whether that needs to be organised factions like the Labor Party and say, look, we've got a left-right unity in this, but guess what? Collectively, Jobs, Homes and Families is where it's at. You know, that has a huge, huge... That's, that's a master stroke. That's the know. best thing you've said. Jobs, homes and families, like, run on, run on that. The that's, boring, that's basic it. thing that we all care about. Okay, it's bread and butter. I need to ask you finally about Mulgrave. So you're running yeah. against Daniel Andrews in the seat of Mulgrave Lower House. Chance, not that it matters, we just talked about it, but you're going to disrupt him. But chances of you getting what? Are you, are you, with Ian Cook, I assume he's got a higher profile than you? 
Yeah, oh, in a different way, yeah. In the media level, I don't know how much that transfers in the bottom, we'll find out. Yeah, we don't know. Um, I, th- I think that if an election were held tomorrow, it would be knife edge. I think the Liberals are sitting at 28 to 30. I think Ian's sitting at somewhere between, you know, 14 and 16. I think I'm sitting somewhere between 7 and 10. Now, if you put those... How do you, what do you mean sitting? How do you know? Are you guys doing polls? Yeah, we've done an, I've got an, we've done an internal poll in Mulgrave. And I've also got the ground truth, which is infinitely more important. How do you do? How do you do an internal poll? Do you pay a company? To yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. So we do pay a company. You do a sample. Usually, a sample of four hundred is enough. You, you can get away with two. Sure. And I like to do four hundred. And they ring local residents. Yeah. So they'll do people who reside in the, on the electoral roll. And when you look at it, and we were we polled just over eight percent. This is what yeah. I announced our convention a couple of weeks ago. Now, w- whether that translates into votes, another thing. They might say oh, they may issue sure, over those sure, freedoms, sure, whatever. Sure. The, the fact is, uh, I can comfortably say I'm over 4% okay. and somewhere between 4 and 10. Now, when you look at that, coupled with Ian's 14 to 16, possibly up to 20, if he you know, makes some seismic shift in the last few weeks, to the Liberals 25 to 30, we're talking about 50% plus one. Yeah. Now, when you're looking at the, if you do the federal overlay on, on Daniel's vote, okay, when there was a, it you know, was, was a, Anti, I wouldn't say it was pro Albanese. It was an anti Scott Morrison. Definitely, um, you know, the people vote the least of the two worst evils. Yeah. Um, and I think what we've seen is uh, if you overlay some of the seventies, booths had sixteen percent swings. Now, if he's got fifty four percent primary, that drops to you know we're talking thirty eight forty percent primary. Now, this is before Daniel's name's on the ballot. So, where from where I yes, sit, yeah. I find it very very difficult to see him getting 40% primary. Which means what? If he gets less than 40% knife edge, primary? Knife edge. As it, losing to who? Probably, uh, whoever, let's talk preferences. Who's yeah. going to, so the preferences, would get in, we're right? still in the, t- we're still in talks with the, the, there's four of us, there's an independent that's to be announced. Um, I think she'll be formidable in this, in this seat. There is, um, obviously, you know who party. that is. I do, yes. Yeah. Um, but I'll let that yeah, be sure, her announcement. Sure. Uh, the Liberal Party, Ian Cook, the Freedom Party, when you look at the breakdown of where the votes will go, I can't help but think that's somewhere between 48 and 50% in our math. And if you look at Dan and the Greens, and I think there's a socialist fellow who's got yes, one corporate up, maybe yeah. two, yeah. Um, they're looking at 48 to 50. So to me, it's knife edge. It's as simple as that. It, this is, is an absolutely close call, but too if, close to call. If your side of thing wins in Mulgrave, yep. out of that group, who would be... Well, be, the most likely would be... Um, be Michael. Well, Michael, absolutely. That's and that true. would be the preference flow, depending on how the preference flow goes to Ian. So I think that the, the race is between Ian and Michael. Uh, I think it'll be, in, it'll be critical in terms of how the preference flows internally. But at the end of the day, regardless of how it goes, the four of us will be preferencing above Labor, which <laughs> means... So Labor's last on all your preferences? It, what, across the state or Mulgrave? Well, let's do Mulgrave first. Yes, yeah, so Mulgrave... Um, no, I think I'll put the socialists. I think I'll put the Greens below Labor. Greens and the socialists. And then socialists. Yeah. And then Labor. Yeah. And then the others. Yeah. Okay. What about across the state? Does it vary? Yeah. So look, it's a seat by seat basis, and if okay. it, it all depends on how they've voted and who they are. So okay. there may be some. There what, may be some. What about know, in the upper house? Well, the upper house will only ever preference to those parties who are close, most closely aligned to our objectives of protecting jobs, homes and families and our belief system and our ideology and philosophy. So we will never deal with the likes of the Animal Justice Party, the Fiona Patton's Reason Party, um, the Socialist Party, i.e. the Greens. I mean, it's wasting our time. I mean, there's, okay. you know, we don't need to. And, and that's why the Glenn Drury model of where they, yeah. you know, he does the switcheroonie with all these parties, we don't have to do that. And, and I don't think Glenn's ever had a model that's confronted him. So we're doing it our way. We're going to do it ethically, transparently. And guess what? We're going to form a collective on our closest belief system, which is how it should be done. So, you know, if, if you can get, say, you know, a party from the right and then all of a sudden, you know, 
safe seat them in one of the regions, the other seven regions, they, they shift all those votes to the left. And why would that party exist? They're a sellout. I wouldn't okay. trust it. If I can't trust them on a group voting ticket, why would I trust them in the parliament? So with this, um, it, so because the LDP used Glendrury to get in, right? If they didn't and they stayed true to what you're saying, like values of we will not play this stupid game, because the only reason Limbrick got in mm. is because Andy Medic got in as well. Like that was the Glendrury thing, right? I think. Mm. Don't kill me, David. But that means David Limerick, if they didn't play the system, he wouldn't have been there over the past three years, four years. It would have been a much worse place in Victoria without him and Tim Quilty pushing back on no, a long they, myriad no, of issues. No, I disagree because they were, they were instrumental in getting the, the three people who actually extended the pandemic legislation. So, oh, I see what you're saying. So what I'm saying is saying. Whilst, whilst you protect someone in a seat somewhere, okay. at what cost does it come at? And, it, and they're, if they're operating in a model where the means where the ends justifies the means, then you're always going to get Labor stranglehold in the parliament. Because, oh, but the Lib Dems are two great people. Yeah, but what did, what did you get in at the cost of doing that? Okay. okay, and now you have Labor, and the battle's always been the gatekeeper of legislation, the Board of Review. That's where the battle is. I mean, that's all locked and signed and sealed by the end of this week. I mean, that, that race is, is run before it's won. You know, the, the lower house is just theatre. He said, she said, you know, get your show bag. And yeah, that's all done. And then that's where the real power lies. And that's where I think we've confronted the Glendrury model. Um, you know, is he operating legally? Of course he is in the flawed legislation. Doesn't make it ethical. And really, I, I don't welcome his approach whatsoever because it sells the state people out. And my focus is on 6.8 million people. It's not about me winning Mulgrave or getting seats in anywhere. It's having being a wrecking ball, being a circuit breaker, having the most amount of impact to say, hey, guys, there's actually a different way you can do this. You can do things transparently above board and make sure that your support base know exactly when they put a number one there, exactly where it's going, which is going to be on your side of politics. Not all of a sudden, you know, oh, we'll secure one seat over here and we'll take your seven votes there and flick them to the left. I mean, that's, seriously, it's, it's really compromises one's character when they're willing to do that because it, to me, it's, it's smacks of self-interest, which is the problem with Victorian politics. Unfortunately, there are that many snouts in the trough now that they're, they're more concerned about you know, their perks and you know, the, the champagne and chauffeurs than they are about the 6.8 million people. It's ridiculous and it needs to change. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm going to be a wrecking ball now. I've got nothing to lose. You know, I've got I've got this skill set that you know I thought I'd never have to have to activate again. I, I swore myself out of politics eight years ago, and now I'm you know in the middle of it all again. But I'm actually having a lot of fun, so because I, I believe it feels I like believe it. in the cause, yeah, yeah, so, but, uh, yeah, you believe in the cause. That's true, and that's fine. But it also feels like you you're natural. You're a duck in water doing this. Well, yeah, it's been a while, but yeah, a bit of WD forty, and I'm, <laughs> I'm back on it. There's two. Uh, you remind me of someone else. I, I won't name him on air, but there's two of you that just naturally operate in this world, and it fascinates me. I, I don't. I don't operate well in this world. Hey, listen. Thank you for having such an open conversation. I think that is the biggest credit of all, and that's why I wanted to have you here. I mean, willing to sit down, ask anything. You said nothing is off limits. Uh, that's just so rare. Labor Party refuse. Well, actually. Labor Party have agreed to come on. Greens councillors have agreed to come on. Okay. But they want to get the footage first. They and want then to edit, it, edit it Send it back to the company discernible who filmed it. And then I'm allowed to release it on my own so channel. So why don't they just send you their TV political campaign and save everyone the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm talking like famous federal members in the Labor Party. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so look good shame. to see freedom of speech is thriving in the political party. <laughs> so how, how, how about we end on this? If I give you a magic wand, how would you fix the entire world? Um, wow, the entire world. Entire world. Well, really, it begs the question: What is the biggest problem in the world today? I think, I think selfishness. I think we've come down where we have this approach that we are the world, we're the center of the universe in everything that we do. People On an individual level, totally. Right. I think we've we've become. I mean, look at everything: iPhone, 
for example, everything's I, I, I. I know yep. it's just symptomatic, yep. but the, you, know, yep. you look at it and it's just it's me, 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 what, and you look at the products and consumables and, and really we're looking at life and what's in it for me, what's in it for me. Why? We're in the pursuit of joy. You don't get joy through stuff, but we're living in a, wor- a world of stuff and some of the happiest people are in the poorest countries and, and, and because they, they appreciate some of the basics of life. And, and he, I don't know, I think the Western world's got it all wrong. Materialism has really damaged our, our soul and our spirit, I think, in terms of if that's your pursuit, if money and wealth and greed or whatever, if that's your, you'll never be happy. Is this a Christian or a Buddhist view, like anti-materialism? No, this is just view? me as a Mother Nature view. I always, I always look at things in, in Mother Nature. Like people, you know, I, I was raised in a religious family, I, I would, but I look at things pragmatically and my belief system, you know, is very personal. I, I don't have... An overt, oh, I'm this, and therefore you should do this. I don't have that. I, I like to. I, I think I can. You can draw upon a lot of religions. They've got a lot to offer. Yeah, but you don't like and, materialism. No, I don't. No, I, no I, so I've, never, I've had a healthy disconnect with money since I was born. So really, yeah, I just don't. It doesn't drive me at all. Like I, I just, I just want to. How do you get that though? Because that, I mean, that's what I said. The Buddhist narrative and the Christian narrative, both, and there'll mm. be others, but those two come to mind. So how how do you get there? I I, I think I said my my self satisfaction and my joy comes from. Uh, helping people either think outside the square, critically think. That's why I love teaching. I loved it. Yeah. Like you go home, you thought, oh man, I made, you know, and here's an example, you know, I'm going to frequency hop here, but you had some t- some introverted students come up to mm. me and, no, Mr. Mac, I don't want to be in the school play. You know, no, and the parents would come and know they're, you know, they're mm. high anxiety levels. And I know them because I have to work them outside of the classroom in well being. So I said, okay, well, how about you guys? girls be the backstage okay you'd be backstage mm. i said yes what the best part about backstage you get to wear all black no mm. one can see you the lights go off oh, yeah, yeah. you change the scene rah rah and they're yeah. like yeah okay yeah. so they practice they practice and practice and on the night who's on the stage the most more than anybody them them yeah and they loved it and they yeah. blossomed and the, the parents like i don't know what you did but the, i didn't do anything all it is is i found their weakness i found their strength you capitalize on their strength and and that's what i love doing like, and that's satisfying to me like no amount of money will make me happy you know and therefore i don't have a pursuit of it were you born into a wealthy family no i was i'm one of nine children we we're born in whittles i was born in darwin actually um but so i was raised in country victoria and I just found joy in, I, thought, I didn't even know kidney was meat. Like we had meat, we had kidney and liver, right? That yeah, was our meat. That's why it's so healthy. That's why oh. your brain works properly. Like <laughs> everyone else raised on cereal. So yeah. How do you get some of the, the young people I meet today, Gen Z, they're so lost. And mainly because yeah. they're so comfy, so self-focused. Be, their brain has been rotted by not just TikTok, but yeah. the general movement behind it. And they actually have asked me, Matt, yeah. you seem to have your life more well put together. How do I be like that? Yeah, and I think that, uh, lots to be said about the education system. And there are some good schools out there, alternative schools, where you know they come to school in their normal clothes. They're told the teachers by their first name. They actually have to make their lunch. They have to pick the vegetables. All that stuff, the wow. real life stuff. It's like a Montessori. Um, school. Well, there's there's a Woodley in here. It's a Woodley College, and and yeah, they're not cheap. The fees, I think it might be ten, twelve thousand. Yeah, but yeah. but what happens is there's only 150. It's capped at 150 yeah. students. But there's a fella called um, John Marsden, and right. and he's written you know when the world uh, what is it. When, when the, the world, world began, began yeah. he's a you know, author. He's in the Macedon Ranges. He's got a Candlebark school there on 1,200 acres in the Macedon wow. Ranges. And he's he's a, he's very outside. He said, you know, he's the principal of the school. He said we need to completely overhaul the education system in order to engage the the people that you're talking about. Like they haven't had, you know. A, they haven't had the real life thing of going and collect your chook eggs and, and this is how life actually works. Mm. It doesn't just get given to you in a happy meal and then you just keep eating crap. Mm. You know, you need to work out and they don't have, and dare I say it, the word, they, they haven't got the ability to discern because they don't know what they don't know. So yeah. they've actually been rewired to thinking a certain way 
And I think we're going to see, a bit like globalisation going back to localisation, I think we're going to see a, um, an education revolution of sorts in terms of critical thought because it's not there. It may not come through the traditional system. It won't. I don't think it can. I think the traditional system is stagnant and collapsed, but it's, it's a slow-moving cog that will almost be impossible to dismantle yeah. because that's all they've ever known. Yeah. But I think it's going to be something that that occurs outside the system, whether it's a hybrid of a homeschooling and, and then a social community. Yes. I think something like that will completely change the education system as we know it. Because when you look at it, you know, back in the 1850s, you had boards and chalk and seats and <laughs> not much has changed, mm. yet the world's massively changed. Massive. But the yes sir, yes, no sir, three bags full sir. It's like, guys, these... Give them a thing of paddle pops, create an aeroplane, mm. do this to like mm. make mistakes, you know, get dirty and all these things. But no, RHS and PC has just completely killed creativity, innovation and the engagement of students' minds. And you just see it. And you see the students here and the, the, their potential is here and the education system's doing this to them. It's terrible. And more often than not, the, the ministers in these portfolios don't have uh, any, any experience on the front line in, the, in these things. They see it as figures on paper. But, you know, unless they immerse themselves in those portfolios or have expertise in those areas, then, you know, they're just carrots to, to people to give them a flick of an extra 50, 60 grand. You know, and we can see this in every portfolio, health portfolio. I mean, there is so much expertise out there. If the ministers were smart, you say, you know what, I'm going to get, you know, the 12 top doctors and nurses and whatever, and they're going to become, they're going to formulate my, and I'll be the mouthpiece for them. Instead, they think they know it all. They've got bureaucrats in the background who equally have, you know, limited experience. And then they roll out these, you know, these PR exercises and it's not doing anyone any service. They're incentivized to do that for the election. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, if people want to, I already gave the link to the website. What was it? Freedomparty.net.au. Yep. .net.au. .net.au. Uh, also, uh, no, I, yeah, I appreciate you being here and being open. Is there anything you want to tell the people uh, to this camera here uh, as an election message? Because you election can use me- this yeah. footage. When you're done, you can cut this yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Well, I, I, I think... Victorians, this is the most important election that has been ever faced uh, for this great state. We are on the cusp of having a government that may in the next four years precipitate some of the worst policies imposed in Western democracy. We have seen what has happened in the last two years. We don't want this to happen again. We more than ever need to protect our jobs, homes and families. Please think outside the square, be informed in your vote and choose wisely. Thank you for being here, Adam McGlinden. And uh, if you want to follow us, we're at discernible.locals.com. The people who support us there mean we can do this for free. And of course, I announced another show. We actually have merch, finally. Uh, Team Human is our brand. So be repping cool things over there, teamhuman.au. See you later. Thanks for the long chat. No, no, awesome.